Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio. Hope you're doing well. Great set of callers tonight. Five. Top shelf, as they used to say when I was growing up. First question is, why has the public sphere become less universal? You know, identity politics uh, and divide and conquer sort of stuff. How can we re-universalize an understanding or at least an interest in philosophy and politics in general? So we dive deep into the leftist agenda of race politics and gender politics and so on. It was really, really great. The second caller wanted to know why why does the progressive movement so much want to divide people into subcategories? You see how we group these questions together for your listening convenience? A great call as well. Third caller, a fine young gay man who wanted to know, where are all the gay conservatives? I mean, outside of Milo. <laughs> and uh, we talked about how he might be able to find the love of his life. Fourth, a delightful Jamaican woman called in who wanted to know why... Our U.S. race relations are so spiky, and how on earth is she supposed to navigate these complexities? And it was a great conversation, most enjoyable. Now, the fifth is a long call. I hope you make it through. It's very important, very powerful. Two parents, uh, long-term listeners, called in about their son's temper tantrums, and we had to go so deep. It was uh, fantastic and amazing, and I think very, very positive. So please, please make it through that one. And please don't forget to help us out at the show. We need your money. Everything costs something, and we'd like your support at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux, and use our affiliate link at fdrurl.com slash Amazon. All right, up next we have Jordan. Jordan wrote in and said, I've been wondering about this for some time now. It seems that we've become much more segmented and boxed into little groups. This occurs in the political realm with identity politics, as well as the echo chambers we build for ourselves on social media. So my question for you is the following. One, why has the public sphere become less universal regarding the rise of identity politics and the decline of the public intellectual? And two, how can we re-universalize an understanding, or at least an interest in philosophy and politics more generally? That is from... Jordan. Hey, Jordan, how are you doing tonight? Very good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's just fine. That's just fine. Do, do you have any thoughts as to why you think this might be occurring? I'm not quite sure. I mean, I was reading uh, an article in the New Statesman a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and it's this particular article sort of lamented the decline of the publicly known intellectual or, or philosopher and it didn't have an, an answer of why it was happening. But I mean, thinking that maybe I was thinking over the last week or so, there's probably two reasons. Um, yes, yeah, so the first one was technology, but the second one was um, just the, the change in our culture or our politics, whereby uh, identity politics has come to the fore. Um, I, don't, I don't quite know. I mean, uh, there doesn't seem to be, like, if we look on sort of the mainstream uh, media outlets, there doesn't seem to be the long um, t uh, television programs like the firing lines of William F. Buckley or like the long interviews. It tends to be very um, boxed interviews where you have like 30 seconds to get your talking points across and that's it. And I don't think that, well, obviously, that's not uh, conducive with a, a long discussion of philosophy or economics or or history. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, why I just wanted to reinforce that. Like, I mean, uh, when when I do interviews, you know, we, we chat 
before and we chat afterwards. And the number of times I've heard from people, especially afterwards that I've been interviewing, like it, what a relief it was to have a long format without interruptions uh, to, for them to be actually able to build a case and get an idea across. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the same sort of thing. I remember, I think I was reading uh, something that Christopher Hitchens wrote, uh, and he said that, you know, he may dislike or he may you know, get angry with William F. Buckley, but he said after every every appearance, you've always had the chance to reply, and there's never a time when you, uh, you um, there's like, you know, like after a conversation or whatever, that you're always like, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. There was like never really an opportunity uh, or there never was that uh, that that time, um, but I'm not quite sure. Like, is is this like something you've been thinking about? Uh, um, particularly with philosophy, you're a philosopher. Like, why don't we see the uh, um, you know a philosopher on on television that we sort of all know? I mean, like most people like in the article, it said that most people in Britain, but the same thing would be said for Australia, probably America as well, probably couldn't even. If name a philosopher that's currently in the universities or um, studying philosopher, a sloth, uh, philosophy, I'm not sure what you think. Um, oh yeah, no, they're 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 terrible in general. Yeah, terrible, w- worse than terrible. N- not only like it would be better if there were no philosophers than bad philosophers, because bad philosophers give philosophy a bad name and make it tougher for the good ones to have an impact. So no, I mean they're 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 just you know bought, bought over in general. There's some exceptions, uh, but uh, they're, they're paid for by the state and serve the social narrative and and they often purposefully drive themselves towards inconsequentiality so that they don't rouse anyone's upset and continue to pull their salaries by distracting the most intelligent students away from actually being able to analyze and solve problems in society Mm. yeah i i mean like when it when it comes to historians publicly known historians um in britain there's, you know, there's, there's Simon Shamer, there's Andrew Roberts, there's uh, Niall Ferguson, and they tend to be quite well known. But uh, but philosophers, not so much. Uh, why do you think historians have a greater ability to be the public intellectual and philosophers not necessarily so much today? Well, the best, the best historians are great storytellers. Right. And if you, I mean, philosophy is not about storytelling, although... Having analogies, as I think I've proved over the last 10 years or so, having analogies is enormously helpful for philosophy. And this goes back to Socrates, uh, sorry, to Plato, who divided human beings into sort of the gold, the silver, and the bronze categories. And uh, if you look at um, his uh, treatise on on love, uh, he has wonderful analogies and metaphors. It's one of the great tragedies of history that uh, Aristotle, who was considered a fantastic writer, even better than Plato, his original works are lost, but Plato's were retained. And so, because the Plato's, Plato's writings that we have are better stories, better told, better written than Aristotle's that cobbled together from a bunch of student notes and stuff like that. They've had disproportionate influence on the mind. But uh, the, the best historians tend to be, uh, the most popular historians, I should say, tend to have the following characteristics. They're great storytellers. They infuse their stories with a lot of passion and, quote, meaning, but they don't derive any actionable moral conclusions from their recounting of history. So they give people a sense of tradition. They give people a sense of being embedded in a larger story, 
but they don't actually make any demands on people to change their behavior and act with moral courage in the pre- in, in the present. So pe- people love that kind of stuff, right? It's all the benefit with none of the risk. Right. Would you consider Noam Chomsky to be you know, uh, you know, the exception to our rule here? That Because uh, he is quite well known. Would you consider him a philosopher? Uh, and if so, would he be the exception to the rule and, and why? A philosopher? I, well, I don't. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm afraid like... I, I will say this. I mean, I've read, I don't know, maybe four of his books. Yeah. And, and none of none of them have been philosophical, to, to my knowledge. I know that some of the work he's done in linguistics has philosophical elements to it in our acquisition of language and so on. But I have not seen him work with, you know, Aristotelian reasoning from first principles. So, um, again, he may have done it in, in areas I'm not aware of, but uh, I, I would not put him into that particular category but again that just could be because of my lack of knowledge well i suppose i was just using the word philosopher quite loosely um but do you know like um i guess you know the second part of my question is 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 it possible to recreate uh you know the situation we used to have whereby there were publicly known philosophers how can we get philosophy um back into the public sphere um like it once was well, I mean, you, you have a choice. In society, you can have philosophy or you can have diversity. And for the past 50, 60 years, largely as the result of communist infiltration of formerly at least decently noble leftist institutions, society has chosen diversity over philosophy. And the, the reason for that is that diversity says, well, you see, divergence of, of opinion is is a good thing. It's enriching to have diverse or opposing opinions all clustered together in society. Well, of course, the job of philosophy is to make sure that anybody who tells or who makes truth claims knows what the hell they're talking about. And nobody ever talks about diversity in science, right? Nobody ever says, well, you know, it's great that we have Newtonian physics coexisting with Einsteinian physics. And, you know, it'd be great if we have all these contradictory theories of everything that pretend to explain everything because in science, diversity is its strength, right? That's, I've never heard anything. Any, I mean, they may say diversity is a strength, like we want, you know, more, I don't know, uh, Indian dwarves in science or something, but they don't say that having a multiplicity of opposing theories in science is the strength of science. They'd say, well, no, the whole point of science is you're supposed to end up with a generally accepted coherent theory, you don't hear biologists say, well, Darwinian evolution is a strength, and so is 6,000-year-old creationism. We like to have them both in there because diversity is a strength. Right? You know what I mean? Like, So if, if you want diversity, what you're saying is there are uh, no foundational principles that supersede culture. If there are no foundational principles that supersede culture, then the job of a philosopher is 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 considered a negative, right? Because it doesn't encourage diversity, right? I mean, the whole point of a philosopher is to tamp down all of the poking up random historical superstitious gopherheads of nonsense cultures that come before the throne of reason and make their case, right? And so, no, I mean, you're supposed to end up with uh, one set of rules, one one set of ethics, one set of justifications, uh, because reasoning doesn't produce multiplicities. Reasoning produces unity. But you can't have unity 
and diversity. Uh, of course not. I mean, that's almost by definition. So yeah, the left has wanted to um, destroy the bulwark of Christianity that has kept the West safe for at least 1,500 years, you could say, or at least has kept it relatively free for the past 500 years or so. So the left has wanted to destroy Christianity, and in order to destroy Christianity, uh, it has had to uh, import diversity, in other words, clearly non-Christian elements uh, around the world. And the result has been that you have neither theology nor philosophy nor any unifying principle in society that everyone is willing to bow down to, right? There's this thing going on at the moment in Canada. I think Justin Trudeau referred to so-called, quote, quote, Canadian values. You know, do we expect people to conform to so-called Canadian values? There's this big debate. Now, are immigrants expected to conform to Canadian values? What are Canadian values? A philosopher would say, well, there's, there's no such thing. A philosopher would say there's no such thing as Canadian values any more than there is Icelandic math or Tanzanian physics. So the job of the philosopher is to uh, unify the wayward and disparate perspectives into a rational, empirical, and cohesive whole. But given the lefts and now indeed society as a whole, given the addiction to diversity, the job of a philosopher is directly threatening the goals uh, that the left has of destroying the remnants of Christianity and the Enlightenment and so on in order to uh, bring about uh, uh, socialism and communism. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the last point I'd probably make or ask of you is, you know, what's our action plan? How how can we reach a, a segmented audience um, when when we can see that, you know, you know our Facebook friends, um, sometimes, you know, they, they defriend us if we make a little post that they disagree with or how do, how do we, how do we try, uh, how do we be uh, that, you know, that, that tamping tool of uh, a philosopher? How do we do that uh, with the constraints of, uh, uh, of a segmented uh, uh, public space that we have? Um, you mean, how do we chase people who block us for giving them information they don't like? Yeah. And, and uh, well, you don't. No, all right. <laughs> well, you, you, you're going to try and, and uh, are you going to try and chase down and bring integrity to people whose reaction to information they don't like is to put their fingers in their ears and go la, 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 la in this autistic screeching manner? No, you can't. I mean, just, sorry, you're now on the side of the enemy and there's going to be a fight, a, a verbal fight, a fight of, of values and reason and evidence. We hope, we hope to keep it that way. But there's another factor as well, as far as this fragmentation goes. When the law was small, when the law was passive, when the law was comprehensible, when the law was common, in other words, there was common law, right? You had to not use force against people and you had to keep your word, right? That was criminal law and civil law. You had to maintain your contracts and you had to not use violence against people. Everyone could understand that, and everyone was united in that perspective, except for a small group that everyone recognized were criminals. Everybody was united under the banner of a fairly just and fairly universal and fair set of laws. Now, uh, society is divided into farmers and livestock, right? 
because there are people who are forced to contribute to the state and people who take from the state, right? The state is one big giant conveying mechanism. It's like this big giant robot arm that goes between two sandboxes, taking sand from the productive and now dumping it onto the increasingly numerous unproductive, like in America, it's 94 million, 93 million people who are of working age, but not in the workforce. And um, half of, more than half of American households now rely on the government for substantial, if not all, of their uh, income, right? So we have the farmers and the farmers' dependents, right? The farmers are the tax collectors, and the farmers' dependents are everyone they pay off with the stolen money of the productive. How can there be unity in a win-lose environment, right? How can there be unity when some people are feeding off the stolen labor of other people? There can't be any unity there at, at all. You know, that's like the cancer in your body saying, we're all in this together. It's like, well, no, actually, <laughs> we're kind of not. One of us is going to go uh, or both of us are going to go. But uh, so that there can't be any unifying principles when the predation upon human beings has reached such an escalation. Right? I mean, this was the case uh, in the founding of America, right? All men are created equal, yet we have slavery. Well, pick one, right? You can't, you can't have both. Sorry, that's just not the way that logic works. So when everybody was united under a common, comprehensible, fairly passive, in other words, it waited for a complaint before leaping into action, when everyone was united under common moral rules, and the law was ideally, of course, supposed to represent moral rules, then you could have unity. I mean, there was society, and then there were the criminals, and the criminals were not considered to be part of society, which is why they were locked up away from society. But now you have this massive wealth redistribution, and you can see this with, with Trump, right? I mean, you can see this with Trump getting in, and there are fears among the dependent classes, among those who are dependent on the farmers, the tax farmers. They're freaking out. They're panicking. How can there be unity between the farmers and victims in a vampire landscape. It's not, it's not possible. You know, I can't go to the chickens I keep and say, well, we're all in this together. It's like, well, no, you keep stealing and eating our, our eggs and babies, right? So when you have a predatory state that's constantly grabbing resources from one group and handing them off to another, how could there possibly be unity because these two groups, by their very nature, exist in an oppositional relationship? You can't can't possibly have unity in that situation. Hmm. It sounds rather ominous. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think the future holds for philosophy, though? Like, um, like holds? What do you mean? Um, well, I mean, like this. We see this trend. Um, it's not. Oh, no, no, no. Don't. No, no. Don't. Don't. No. Don't give me the. Don't give me the passive encasement. Right. Don't. Don't. Well, what? what what's going to unravel? What's going to unfold? You know, to hell with that. I mean, I'm making a difference in philosophy. I'm making a difference in the world. You know, a couple of hundred million downloads of this show is making a immeasurable impact in the consciousness of the world. So what does the future hold for philosophy? Well, as far as I'm concerned, whatever I damn well wanted to hold, because that's what I'm working at. So I just don't, don't give me this, well, how are things going to unroll like it's some carpet uh, unrolling in a shop or something? It's like, no, I mean, what, what do you want philosophy to do? Then, then make it do that. Hmm. 
fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, a good talk. I'm, I don't, I don't quite know. Um, interesting talking to you. Um, any further thoughts? No, that's great. I appreciate the question. It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. And you know, I invite people to mull over. You know, what would it be? What would it require for society to actually have unity for us not to fragment into these warring? and uh, opposing groups. And um, it's not just having different opinions at all. It's having different opinions plus state, the state proactively moving resources around turns people into winners and losers. And it's basically a civil war. Literally, it's a civil war. An uncivil war is when the money runs out. But a civil war is when the government is uh, moving money around to, to buy votes and, and allegiance and so on. So no, it's a great, great set of questions. I, I'm glad it was helpful uh, in terms of the answer. And let's move on to the next caller. Thank you. All right, up next, we have Matthew. Matthew wrote in and said, I am wondering, what is the reason or mentality behind the desire of the progressive movement to divide people into subcategories? I've noticed that people that choose to divide themselves also tend to be more aggressive to anyone whom they view as opposition, regardless of that person's actual beliefs or actions. Why is this, and how did this mentality come about? That's from Matthew. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Oh, quite well, Stefan. How are you? Well, well, thank you. Well, I think the first thing to understand is that the left is a giant factory that manufactures losers. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> for, for the left to work, they have to be victims. They have to be people who are failing. They have to be people whose lives are disastrous, right? Yeah. You, you, can't, sell, you can't sell salvation to a happy man, right? In order to save someone, you have to damn them first. Mm-hmm. The you left is the not pose. in the business. Yeah, the, the, the left is not in the business of providing solutions. The left is in the business of stimulating problems. Of course, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't sell a diet book to a thin person easily, right? So you want to fatten them up, right? So the left is, is in a continual process of manufacturing people who are doomed to fail, and that way they can mine the resentment that that failure creates in order to you know, shatter and prey upon the productive in, in society, right? So you can... Uh, it was a, tragic series of um, uh, pictures around there on, on the internet. You can kind of Google this and, and find them for yourself. Women before and after feminism, like women before and after becoming social justice warriors. And it, it's horrible. It's, it's literally heartbreaking because you see these women you know, look nice, normal, attractive, healthy, happy. You know, and then they've got half-shaved heads and weird piercings and tattoos and fat. And, you know, it's like, ugh, it's gross, right? So they're producing women who are unmarriable, unlovable. And so these women are going to fail, and they're going to be miserable, and they're going to be resentful. And so they've, they've created this army of resentful people, this army of people who are doomed to fail. Not, not because of anything inherent in the system that they live in, but because they've been filled full of victimhood and rage and resentment by the left. Now the left produces this army this mob, this unthinking, chaotic, epistemological messes of human beings, doomed to fail. Doomed to, to fail. Doomed to be poor. Do, doomed to be unloved. Doomed to get STDs. Mm. Doomed to be single moms. Doomed to just live a, a life that is a complete mess. And this is how you know it's a new form of an old-time religion, right? Because the old-time religion, and I, I'm talking about sort of the more sinister 
medieval aspects of Christianity here. I think the modern flavors are much more benign. But, you know, old-time religion, this is not just Christianity. This is other religions, too. What do they say? You're damned as a sinner. You're damned as a bad person. You're going straight to hell. Satan is the ruler of this world. You're doomed, but I can save you. They have to create sinners in order to sell salvation. And they have to, the left, it's the same thing. They have to create victims in order to sell salvations. Now, in, in fundamentalist religion, you're, you're a victim of, of, of Satan and, and of your own lusts and your own drives and your own dark desires and all this. You're a victim. But we'll sell you salvation. And uh, in, in the left, you see you're a victim of patriarchy and racism, homophobia, sexism. Islamophobia, you're a victim, victim, victim. But we'll sell you salvation in the form of state power. It's, it's the same scam, right? Uh, old-timey religion was in the business of producing sinners so that it could sell salvation. And the left, and, and Christianity, I think, has largely moved beyond that in many circles. But the left is in the process of producing failures, failures so that it can sell them resources. See, if you're a successful person paying taxes, you don't like the left. Why? Because they take all your stuff, man. <laughs> they yeah. rip you off, right? If you're out there, like, there's a great um, Dilbert cartoon, right, from our good friend Scott Adams. And, and in the cartoon, Ashuk, I think his name is A-S-O-K, Ashuk, he's this intern and he gets a job and everyone gathers around when Ashuk opens his first paycheck and they want to see his face. Do you, do you know why? Because they're expecting it to be upsetting them. Yeah, because you say, wow, I'm making X amount of dollars per year. Woo it's my first real job. And then you get your paycheck and it's like, ooh, <laughs> mule kick of tax reality and deduction reality. Mm -hmm. I'm left with what? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the government just wiped its ass with your paycheck and handed you the smelly remains. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say? No, nothing, nothing. I was, I was laughing. Did you have that when you had your first job? And you're like, I'm making one. Uh, I had, I, I had my first job when, when I was uh, 15. I can't even remember the feeling at the time. I, I, just, I, I wasn't until much later that I started to really notice how much of my money was going, and much so more after the ACA was passed, uh, the Affordable oh, yeah. Care Act and Obamacare, because then you were, you're, you did the, you were required basically to pay for it in one way or the other, whether it came out. Uh, through the uh, what, what does the government call it? They didn't call it a tax because then it would be taxation without representation. They called it something else. The fine. It was a, a fine. fee or a yeah, whatever. Fee it was, or fine. Yeah. 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 So you had that, or you actually had to pay the exorbitant, you know, incre ever increasing. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, actually, when I was a waiter, yeah, when I was a waiter, you 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 know, this is back in the day before credit cards were prevalent. Mm -hmm. But after abacuses and stone tablets from my younger listeners but um yeah back in the day when i was a waiter right i mean people would just leave you tips in cash right it could come the end of the evening you're walking around like a a night of the round table in full chain mail because like, <laughs> in your pockets is like so much change it's ridiculous i mean you literally like you could you could take bullets uh to your nutsack and be fine and um now of course i declared everything um, as, as income, but I knew some waiters who didn't, and I bet you those waiters who didn't kind of liked it, and then if they got a real job with a the salary, they're like, oh, 
Now I'm yeah. on the paying side. Oh, it's not free. <laughs> this is why I had to pay so little for college. And so the left can't have too many people who are successful because if there are too many people who are successful, then there's lots of people who are on the paying side of the leftist equation. And being on the paying side, well, this is why Churchill said, if you're not a socialist when you're 20, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're 40, you have no head, right? And it's because you go from the being paid to the paying side, you know? As the old saying goes, it, hunting ain't so much fun when the rabbit's got a gun. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the left can't manufacture too many successful people. I mean, it needs there to be successful people so that it has groups to pillage, but um, it doesn't want, it's in the business of manufacturing losers and failures and, you know, resentful uh, people who are just, who just telegraph emotional disasterville, like somebody's got an air horn attached to both nipples. <laughs> right? I mean, they just want to telegraph and you can see, you know, these social justice warriors with the blue hair and the half shaved and black lipstick and shit like that. It's like, yeah, okay. So, sorry, you've, you've been all twisted into a tiny bag of socialist nuts. Um, and that way, they can keep people on the receiving end of largesse, of the state. Of, and that's why they want so many people to go into school. Right? Because when you graduate from school with a huge amount of debt, sorry, you're a loser. And I, I mean this with sympathy. I mean with genuine sympathy. I graduated with some debt, but not, not too much. Um, but uh, because you, you really don't have any options. You, you just, you've got to get a job. You can't really negotiate. It, it's like the H-1B visas. You know, it's a form of serfdom. And so you're resentful. So if they can breed low rent, low earning, crazy telegraphing losers, then those people will say, well, of course I need a government because there are all these people out there who just want to exploit me. <laughs> Boy, you know, I... I got to tell you, looking at these people, I'm, I, I'm not sure that's entirely true. <laughs> I'm not right. sure that's. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if they did have more to exploit. I mean that from a sort of financial human capital standpoint. It'd be great if there were some capitalists out there who actually could and wanted to exploit you, because that would mean there'd be a huge amount of value that you're providing to society. The problem is nobody wants to exploit them because they're losers. And again, this sounds like a pejorative, like oh, they're just lo no, they've been made. This is why I hate the left so much, is they take human potential and smash and crush and grind it up for the sake of their pursuit of power. You know, they, they care much about individuals as your average coke addict cares for a cocoa plant. Just grind it up for my addiction. Grind up the people. Smash up the people. Make women fat and unmarriable and ugly, unlovable. What do we care? They'll be miserable and they'll be dependent on us, the givers of disaster, the bringers of ruin. Yeah. You ruin people for the sake of power. You are a nasty, nasty specimen. So they have been bamboozled and lied to and manipulated into disaster. Disaster. Absolutely disaster. And it seems to be very unrecoverable in general. I mean, I know that with a few people who've recovered from this that I know of, but it leaves a big... Uh, it leaves a big scar, and um, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. So that would sort of be my, my first take, if that helps. Well, <clears throat> I, I guess I guess I was w wondering more specifically on a smaller scale. Uh, I mean, the the system itself 
I, I totally agree with the way you look and the way you look at that. I haven't actually looked at it on that large of a scale before as why the uh, left uh, as a whole decides to make, like you said, losers create, create the fulfilling prophecy of, Oh, you need us because now we made you need us. But I, I was more specifically wondering about like on a, on a personal level, why are there people of, especially their ability to get people from the collegiate society and universities to fight these battles, these supposed educated people to, to come to this calling that quite literally leads you, like you said, to being a lifelong loser. I'm, I didn't quite get the last part of the question. If you could rephrase, please. Well, it is, um, how is it personally on a smaller scale? How do these, how, how do people find themselves aligning themselves to this cause to, you know, these uni- people in universities and these educated people to come and uh, fight for this cause that quite clearly, I mean, you can look at it. These these people, what they want is exactly the opposite of what they say. It's They, they almost lack the ability to recognize irony. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Okay, okay. Well, uh, people, people want drama without danger. Some people, right? Especially young people, right? If, if you can get drama without danger... It's a pretty thrilling thing. It's sort of like a video game, right? With a video game, you get drama without danger, right? Yeah. I, I remember I used to play, oh gosh, I used to play Unreal Tournament. I can't remember which version. Unreal Tournament 3? No, before that. 2004? Anyway. And we used to play on Guar's server, G-W-A-R. Um, Guar's server. And they used to have this great map called Facing worlds. It was sort of two giant pillar-like structures on opposite ends of a floating boomerang, it looked like. Anyway, and I was playing with a friend of mine. We were um, uh, playing in the sort of tech pit. And we used to play Capture the Flag, which I'm sure everyone knows about, even if you've never played it. We played it as kids, if you've not played it online. And this game, it, they're supposed to last for 10 minutes, but if there's a tie, then... I'm so glad to never go to my grave without telling this story. Not that it's hugely important, but it just it, it allows me to unburden myself of things. <laughs> anyway, um, but if there's a tie in the game, then your game goes until you get a tiebreaker. So these games are supposed to be for 10 minutes. It was two all, and we kept playing and kept, and no one could get it. We've, everyone's had games like this, like whether it's sports or video games. Just can't quite get the advantage. And eventually, I had the flag, raced across the middle, dodged, you know, jumped up, uh, uh, climbed up the side and got into the top and, and uh, there were these little portals and so on. And I, I literally made it like with ro- a rocket two inches behind my heel when I finally got the flag to their flag. I had the flag and then they didn't have the flag so I couldn't score. Anyway, and, and so it, it was like this game it went on for like, I think it was close to an hour of just back and forth, couldn't quite get the advantage. And I ended up, you know, scoring the winning touchdown in this game. And I, I remember it very vividly. And then the game freezes when you do it. And I could see just how close uh, all of the explosions were. And it was very, <laughs> like, it was very cool. But see, that's, that's drama with no danger. What was I going to get? Carpal tunnel? Ooh, my hands sore. <laughs> I mean, there was drama <laughs> with, no, with no danger. And if you want drama without danger, then you invent victimhood, right? See, if, if you're genuinely a victim then you have drama and danger. Like, Solzhenitsyn was a victim of the Stalinist system of government that he was ensconced under, right? So he was this 
a captain, I think, of the Red Guard or something, a captain in the Soviet military, and he wrote some letters, I think, critical, and they arrested him. And he said he was, he was 10 years in, in the gulag and Dostoevsky. Memoirs saw notes from the House of the Dead. Fantastic book to read about what it was like. Dostoevsky was part of a, uh, a socialist group, and he was arrested. Uh, he was sentenced to death, and he was locked in a prison for, uh, I think it was eight months or so. And this prison, they, they sort of had this idea that quietness and reflection, think, think about what you've done, you know, go to the <laughs> naughty room and think about what you've done. And so they wanted to keep things so quiet. It was pitch black, and they wanted to keep things so quiet. Even the guards wore felt on the bottom of their shoes so they wouldn't make any sound when they're going up and down the hallway. And they finally dragged Dostoevsky out, and they line him up to be shot, just like everyone else, right before he gets shot. His sentence is commuted to 10 years in Siberia, which he goes and serves some portion thereof. And then he ends up as a horrible gambling addict. Anyway, so... Dostoevsky, yeah, genuine, genuine victim, genuine victim of this Czarist regime. And so he had drama and, and danger. But you see, if you're an imaginary victim, if you're paranoid, in other words, if you think people are out to get you, but no one is in fact out to get you, then you have all the drama without the danger. Now that can be very, very addictive for people. Again, in the same way video games have so much replaced sports for uh, people these days, particularly young people these days. Video games have replaced sports because, you know, sports does carry uh, some danger with it. You trip, fall, hurt yourself, uh, get smashed into by someone. So you have to be alert. You have that. There's some excitement and there's some, some danger. But if you can... If you can... And this is the way it generally works. You pick the safest group in society, the group that is least likely to attack you. And then what you do is you say, they have all the power, they're horrible, and they're out to get us. Ooh, now you've got excitement, but no danger. Ooh, that Christian baker is a fascist. Ooh, hey, you, you know what's probably the least terrifying category of people? I'm going to go with Christian Baker. <laughs> I'm just, I'm pretty much going to go with that as, yeah. they haven't you know, made a um, movie yet. ticking Middle Easterner, not quite the same category as Christian Baker. Um, white middle class male. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yes, the roving gangs of white middle class males who are out there beating the hell out of people. Um, so you, you set up a category of imaginary persecution and you do that by picking the safest group of people and then pretending that they're all horrible and they're out to get you. Ooh, we're being chased. <laughs> We've got all the excitement with none of the danger. We wouldn't want to pick on any real enemies, right? Which is why, you know, these feminists and I mean, there's all these junky people, right? They, they go for white Christian males. They're the, 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 that's the big oppressive group that's out to get them. Right, which is, and this is why they ally themselves with certain, you know, it's a woman who was foundational in getting the women's march running, a big fan of Sharia law. Well, you see, you don't want to say necessarily that big proponents of Sharia law are out to get you because they, they may actually end up being out to get you. Right? I mean, that's a little bit too much reality to your thrill seeking, right? So they want, they don't want to go parachuting like jump out of a plane, they want to go parachuting like virtual reality, right? It's the live action role play. They're LARPing 
moral courage. Yeah, Look out! I mean, that bunny, that bunny may may be hunting us now. The hunter has become the hunted, right? It, it, it's like this old Monty Python joke from uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, the Vorpal Bunny, right? The bunny that attacks people and bites their heads off. Mm-hmm. This is social justice warriors, except the bunny is just a regular bunny. <gasps> it's a death bunny. It's a killer bunny. And they're like, oh, no, the killer bunny is out to get us. Oh, no, the, the killer bunny is patriarchy and cisgendered privilege and whiteness and that, right? Pick the safest group you can find. Pretend that they're all out to get you. And then you can pretend to be a victim without actually ever being in any kind of danger um, whatsoever. Which is why, you know, Paul Joseph Watson's got this great new bit about conservatism is the new counterculture. Also, Hitler's yeah, a social justice that. warrior. Yeah, because he's saying, ooh, and this is what I was talking about, the Netflix the Netflix uh, thing I did the other day, right? The, the Dear White mm-hmm. People, ooh, so edgy, ooh, wow, you're making fun of preppy white people, ooh, wow, so edgy. This is why comedians have become so boring to me. Oh, exactly. Because they're so not edgy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, how, how brave is it to go up and make fun of the people that have been beaten this entire time, just kick to absolute, kick the dead horse just repeatedly? Saturday Night Live reiterated the exact same skit they did last week, again this week. With, I oh, mean, yeah. it, was, it, it wasn't clever or anything. It was yeah. a repetition. Trump, Trump is ridiculous. orange and can be kind of loud. Oh, wow. You're just like cutting edge Lenny Bruce kind of comic stylings of edginess. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, so boring. It's so boring. Oh, it's so boring. Go on. Go on. Make some make some fun of Jews. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that you should or well, shouldn't. I mean, but, you know, should, but, yeah. but, but be edgy. Right. Be edgy. You know, be edgy. Be really edgy. Do something actually risky. I think that's why uh, white people are kind of stodgy and oh, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> so boring. They become so, um, they become such fraidy cats. And this is why, yeah, conservatism. I think, I think Paul's got a good, uh, a very good point. Yeah, I was going to say he's he, he's probably he, the reason people like him so much is because of his ability to add humor to the situation and actually attack people that you're not supposed to attack you're not you're oh, like you said the counterculture voice, his, his squeaky voice the high-pitched mocking of social justice oh, outrage God, it's is so it's a thing of beauty That's it really hilarious. is like it, it haunts oh. my dreams obviously it is uh yeah so so i mean if if you can if you can pretend you're being chased you know i mean it literally is like when you see toddlers right you know, I used to do this with my daughter when she was like, oh, daddy's going to get you. And she runs away giggling. She's like, no, daddy, chase me. Here I'm coming to get you. You know, and this is like, this is social justice warriors. It's like, white people are coming to get us. Oh, no, we're really not. Oh, they're coming to get us. Oh, there's go. Oh, the, Trump's going to be a fascist. They're coming to get us. And it's like, we really, no, that's not really what's happening. Ooh, they're going to. Okay, fine. You can just, you can live in your own little thing about how dramatic and exciting your life is. But no, no one's coming to get you. Yeah. The sad part, though, the part that um, bothers me the most about this, and it has bothered me, the reason I even started, I was previously not that invested in politics and or any of these ideas or or anything having to do with leftism and conservatism. I I stayed deliciously ignorant for a while, but then I noticed, you know, around the Trump, uh, not even the Trump, during the the, uh, GOP uh, running, I started to notice that people were... They, like you said, they use LARPing as their way of uh, of uh, pre- pretending this that they're being attacked. But they also use they also use like faux wisdom, like an imaginary imaginary 
empiricism or understanding of how the world works that's not real. It's, I mean, it's not factual. And then when they're confronted with facts or something like that, they retreat back into this. Uh, Stephen Fry, I forgot what, how he calls it. He calls it um, uh, this infantilism that they, they, as soon as you start to point out, you know, uh, well, there hasn't been a, a Christian terrorist attack in the United States this entire time, but there's been several Muslim terrorists. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Now you're attacking Muslims. You're xenophobe. I mean, you're, you're xenophobe, Islamophobe. And we'll also throw in some homophobes and some other phobes along the lines. Well, you know, if they're really concerned about attacking Muslims, which <clears throat> I think is actually a very legitimate concern in the West, how about we, we stop bombing their damn countries? You know, that, that to me would be a very, very good way of stopping to attack Muslims. I think that would just be excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so where were they? Were they when Obama was, you know, dropping 100,000 bombs on largely Muslim countries, what, 11 of them or 7 of them? I can't remember, some ridiculous number. Um, yeah, when, you know, and when George H.W. Bush, now, of course, a lot of them were against, um, uh, sorry, George Bush the Younger, because, um, mm -hmm. you know, he was conservative and all that, supposedly. It's just another damn globalist with, uh, hey, he became a painter after he was kind of like a dictator, kind of the reverse Hitler thing. But anyway. Yeah, the reverse Hitler, yeah. <laughs> he just needs to become so, a vegetarian now. But but here's the thing too. I mean, you can see this too with with groups when they feel that they're being persecuted, but they're not actually being persecuted. Mm -hmm. What they generally what what some deranged members of those groups do is they invent their own hate crimes. You seen this this trend? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I, I can lately. quote them. I can quote them. I, I yeah. know. I, but one so just many. came out today, right? They they just arrested no. a guy, spray painted, right? Uh, F Arabs or a little swastika mm -hmm. or something. Turned out it was uh, anyway. Uh, just yeah, make make up. Oh, you you're coming to get me. No one's coming to get me. Okay, I'll mail a swastika to myself and pretend that someone's coming to get me. Uh, mm -hmm. Right? Or or yeah. what is it, Sarah Silverman? Yeah, the swastika. Who, who's becoming times. like an, an art parody piece of her own self? Like she she saw these these squiggles on. Oh, they're Nazi symbols. Like, don't these people even know how to look up a Nazi symbol? They're drawing them very badly. Yeah, honey, it's because they're. Markers on road work that needs to be done. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. They're coming to get me. The squiggles are coming to get me. They're Nazi symbol. No, no, they're not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because it'll be something else tomorrow. Trust me. I know this one. I have known someone up close and personal who's paranoid. Facts don't matter. Mm. And it generally, in my experience, it arises from people who've done such horrible things to other people that it's their conscience that's trying to get back at them and remind them that they might want to try being a halfway decent human being for a change. But they can't internalize or accept their conscience because they have a vanity and cold-heartedness and sadism. And so there's this, they feel that something's out to get them. They think it's out there in the world. They think it's Donald Trump. They think it's construction markings. They think, but it's their own conscience. That's why it can't be solved. Is it? Do you, do you also believe this? That has a lot to do because all of this, all of these people, the, these people that follow this ideal, they they lean towards being more aggressive. You know, because if if you're right now, it, that almost seems to be the separation between right and left. It used to be that it was you know a kind of socialist mentality and a, a kind of a capitalist mentality, but now it seems that even former left members are, are walking the aisle across like, uh, oh gosh, Mark Rubin. Okay, Rubin. Is that his, 
Dave Rubin. Yeah, Mark Rubin. Gosh, yeah, Mark Dave Rubin, Rubin just, uh, he was just <laughs> on Tucker Carlson talking about how the left left him, right? Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, that he, he left. He also calls this the war on speech right now, which is what I'm, sure. what I'm talking about. This, this is, it's now become, like you said, just a, just a little bit ago, that the, it's a civil war, that it's it's leading towards a point like that because they they're so predisposed or whatever whatever the whatever it is they they seem to lean towards aggressive acts. My cousin happens to be one of the uh, young Republicans at uh, UC Berkeley mm. who was responsible for actually arranging Milo's visit, and he was he was even the one on the television that they interviewed. But I mean they they assaulted the actual president of that organization sure. uh, shortly after that. Um, oh yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 literally dangerous. Yeah, to be an openly identified conservative in significant portions of America these days, it's openly dangerous. Oh, it is. I, I and and that's see, this is the, if you really want to hurt people, but you don't want to look in the mirror and say I'm a fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. Like if you really want to go out and just hurt people, like you want to put acid in their ventilation systems, you want to beat them up, you want to punch them in the head. Like if you're just a sadistic psycho. You don't want to look in the mirror and say, hey, I guess I'm just a fucking asshole. What you want to do is say, oh, no, I'm fighting back. I'm part of the resistance. I'm not a stormtrooper. I'm a Jedi. <laughs> right? I mean, you want to create this fantasy universe where you've justified your actions as self-defense, either on behalf of yourself or some downtrodden, underprivileged group or whatever. But no, I mean, you, you, you want to do damage. You want to watch the world burn, but you don't want to think of yourself as an arsonist, right? So you, you make up a situation. You make up an environment. You make up a, a worldview which justifies your um, preference for an addiction to, uh, to violence. And the other thing, too, is that the people who are violent, th th they're in way over their head. Right. They're, oh, yeah. they're not smart people. Like they're not they're not smart people. If you're smart, then you you know that rioting, that this study just came out, rioting makes people hate your cause. <laughs> I mean, if you go rioting, it's you just you know, the 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 French, right? The French uh, the, the no go zones, right? The the Muslims I mean they're they're setting fire to cars, they're rioting, they're attacking. Okay, so Le Pen is now starting to lead in the polls. Geert Wilders is ahead of the polls in the Netherlands and um now, what, 63 or 64% of Germans want uh, Merkel out, raus, be gone, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you had any brains at all, you'd say, okay, well, this is really bad for my cause. I'm going to make a recent argument. I'm going to go and make my cause look better. I'm right? But these are not smart people. They're not smart people. And if you're not a smart person, you shouldn't be in the realm of ideas, Right. Of course, right? Listen, I'm not very good at math. I can sort of get by, but I'm not. I'm having a natural affinity to math, so I don't go to math conferences. <laughs> I don't take advanced math degrees. I, it's not my. It's not my area of expertise. It's not my skill set. It's not my. I don't like it in particular. So, I know my limitations, and these are people who have been brought into the realm of ideas who aren't smart enough to debate. Aren't smart enough to make a case. Right, escalation to emotional aggression, to physical violence, to verbal abuse. Well, that is generally the sign that someone is not I competent in debate. Know. Now, I'm, I'm fully aware. I just call people assholes, and it's like I'm fully aware of all of that. It's fine if you make the case. Right? If you make the case that someone's an asshole and you say they're an asshole, but if you just scream at people that they're assholes without making a case, 
well, then you're an asshole. <laughs> so so the, 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 there's just way too many people in the sphere, in, in the realm of ideas who have no business being there. Occasionally they call into this show. <laughs> we just put out that video. Anyway, uh, it's just, it's not, they're not good at it, but they don't know that they're good at it. They, they think that they're singing at the Met uh, and it's karaoke night, last call, and everyone's leaving because they can't stand this screeching. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, I, I was I was just going to say that the, uh, gosh, I trailed off when you were talking about, I was actually imagining what you were talking about and trailed off. Uh, I, I was wondering, is it, how, how do you, how does this actually, oh yeah, the, the last guy asked, you didn't want to go there. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, this is, this is, is there any way for this to lead down a nonviolent alley? Because you said not that no, long no, ago. Look, and, no, no, sorry. It's, it, it's already turned violent. Well, I meant that. How do we keep it from escalating? How does it? How does it go from this one act of violence being a mar on the record rather than being par for the course? You know, uh, how, I don't how know. Like, I, 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 other you than don't know either. Okay. Uh, you know, society has reason, ostracism, or violence. That's all there is. That's all there is. Nothing else. So, you know, if if you, and and the left fully understands the power of ostracism. No, I love it. Uh, which is why they try and get you. Fired, and they try and get you, yeah. everyone to hate you. They, you know, contact your friends and right. So they they understand. So well, reason is reason going to work? Well, probably not. Um, is ostracism going to work? Well, ostracism only works if people are susceptible to social pressure, and if they already have enough of their own group, then ostracism doesn't particularly work. So is it going to escalate to violence? Well, it already has. And the problem is, of course, that. Once the right starts really fighting back, I mean really fighting back. It'll be over in five minutes. Well, I wouldn't be so sure about that because the left can be sneaky fighters, right? I mean, it wasn't like when, when we saw the, the eruption of street fighting in, in Weimar Republic between the communists and the National Socialists, right? Well, it wasn't over in five minutes. No, I guess not. I mean, the, le the left in general will, will fight pretty sneakily, right? Like they won't try and beat you up out front of the venue. They'll get the sprinkler system going and they'll pour acid into your ventilation system, right? Like they don't want a direct fight because they're usually pencil neck dweebs, right? But and cowards. Like that's that's why it's always twelve to one with leftists, right? They won't <laughs> they won't they won't go up mano a mano, one to one, right? So they fight sneaky, they fight mean, they fight uh dirty. Um and that's you know in the rule book, right? It's all Alinsky's rule book. Um, no sympathy for the devil. So uh, I wouldn't assume this. Oh, well, we got all the guns. Say the ride will be over in five minutes. No, no, no. Come on. If it was that easy, it would have been done and dusted already. Uh, no, it's going to be it's going to be a brutal fight, and uh, it's going to be a fight on many fronts. And um, I, I predict, though I do not wish for it to be the case, but it certainly will be violent because when the left when the right starts really fighting back, then the left will be overjoyed. Oh yeah, because, because then they see, get to declare now, all now, the fashion. Now, now they, we know they're out to get us. Yeah. All the violence they've wanted to enact. I mean, now the fact that, you know, people being hit with flagpoles and maced and sprayed and tripped and kicked and punched, right, for, for years by the time the right. Once the right starts fighting back, the left will become a howling feral chimpanzee-style mob of mm -hmm. uh, feral retribution. Aha! Now we know. We knew it all along. They finally have shown their true face, and now the battle is on, right? And they'll, they'll love it. So, I don't know. I don't know how to avoid it other than to continue to try and bring reason and evidence as much as possible. No. All right. So I'm going to move on to the next caller. Thank you so much for an excellent series of questions. Uh, I hope it was a productive discussion and uh, uh, appreciate it. Thank you. 
All right, up next we have Thomas. Thomas wrote in and said, I'm a 24-year-old gay male with a stable job and very little college debt. I find it hard to find someone as many gays are very left-leaning and we inevitably end up fighting about politics or they're not willing to commit to a single person. I would like to know, what does Stefan think gay sexual market value is? Also, what advice does Stefan have for someone in my position? How many of my values should I compromise to be with someone based on what gay sexual market value means? That's from Thomas. Oh, hey, Thomas. How you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be in the ping uh, ping pong ball. (laughs) Now, listen, Thomas, I, I don't want to tell you how to be gay, but I think you may have missed the memo where... Your goal really is just a lot of random, anonymous, meaningless sex where you never even learn the person's name, often through a wall. Uh, did you not check your inbox for that particular memo? Yeah, I kind of missed out on that part of it. Yeah, yeah. See, that's a challenge. So so you want like a sort of meaningful, long-term life partnership kind of thing? And Yeah, yeah. And I'd also like to clarify something because I know in my question I said something um, where I say we're not willing to commit to a single person. I meant the other person, not me, because I obviously want to be with a stable person. Right, right. Yeah, okay, I understand, I understand. Well, the stereotypes do appear to be truthy, right? I mean, you know, lefty gays, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Have you met uh, non-lefty gays? It's actually really funny. Um, My first boyfriend, when I had... uh, when I was in high school and stuff, was the person who introduced me to libertarian ideals. And eh, I, through a course of time, that's actually how I found you. So him, but things didn't work out between us. And since then, no. Right, right. And what is the typical response that you get if uh, a gay friend or potential lover or whatever finds out your godforsaken political leanings? <laughs> um. Normally, it's how can you be like that? Uh, It's especially escalated um, with the whole Donald Trump thing because I was a Donald Trump supporter. It's how can you do how can you support somebody who cares about all this hate and preaches all these terrible things and is, you know, fascist. And my replies always are, I have seen him be the most gay friendly Republican president in history. Um. I think what he's doing is going to be safe. It's usually met with a very hard, like, you're, you're wrong, I'm right, and you need to change how you are because this is not how you're supposed to be. Right. It is, you know, and I'm sorry to be using this disrespect, disrespectful phrase, but it can be a little bit disheartening how the left fastens on certain groups and keeps them as their domesticated socialist pets, right? <laughs> yeah. Well not doing anything in particular to uh, to protect them from certain forces in society, right? Um, do gay people where you are, do they feel oppressed? Do they feel at risk? Um, I'm from what you would call uh, Pennsylvania, so... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't call it that since I've never heard the word, but... but okay, so um, I'm from Pennsylvania, Uh, and I'm not from any of the big cities, so it's pretty hard. Like when you, when I find other gay people who live around me, they're pretty far left leaning because they've been told their whole lives, like from the conservative part, I think from other conservative individuals in their lives that it's wrong to be gay and it's wrong to be this way. 
Um, right. So they definitely have much more of a left leaning. And I, I see it as kind of like a conundrum because if I go to a city, then I'm probably going to run into the same thing, if not worse. Yes. And, and this is an error. And uh, saying it's an error is putting it too mildly. Uh, it is an error on the part of religious people to uh, imagine. And I understand why they, they feel this way, because if you are born uh, gay, I, I believe people are born gay. Maybe there's, you know, a gray area in, in the gayness, but I didn't sort of sit there and say, well, I'm going to flip a coin, see if I'm attracted to either males or females. And, oh, look at that. It came down tails, <laughs> not heads. Right. So, I mean, and I would assume and correct me if if I'm wrong, but I would assume that for you, um, that's you wasn't a choice. This is just who you're attracted to. Right. Right. That's correct. Right. And uh, of course, for religious people, this can be a challenge because it seems like an error, <laughs> you know, which is a terrible thing to say to you. And it's not what I believe. But, you know, if, if God is supposed to create people um, you know, in his image for the purpose of procreation and so on, then there is something Darwinian uh, about homosexuality that bespeaks, um, well, it doesn't, it doesn't look too kindly upon the soul thesis and the, you know, heterosexual is the norm thesis. And, you know, I, this level of diversity, fantastic, fantastic. You know, I mean, no, no problem. I think it's, it's perfectly fine. And it is, how uh, people are born, and gay people make fantastic warriors. Um, not W-O, as in the new, but W-A, uh, as as in the old. I mean, just look at the ancient Greeks. They kicked everyone's ass while they were getting lots of ass. So um, so I think this is a, one of the big problems that the right has, and I think Trump is doing quite a lot to, uh, to help that out. But um, it is, uh, you know, some of the third world cultures that come in, uh, that the left is encouraging to come in, are way more unfriendly to homosexuals than any Christian, sort of Native American Christian that I can, I can picture. So it's sort of like the relationship that the blacks have with the Democrats as well, right? Like, it seems like they, they're helping you and they like you, but they're kind of doing a lot of things that aren't going to be that great for you in the long run, you know, like the welfare state and, and the encouragement of single motherhood and the normalization of all this kind of stuff uh, and what the left is doing in terms of importing not the most gay-friendly cultures in the world – is not particularly friendly to the gay community in the long run, as, of course, was uh, found out in San Bernardino and maybe found out in other places over time. Yeah, and the other thing is, too, um, me personally, I don't know a whole lot of gay guys that have... I'm an engineer, so I don't know a lot of gay guys that have, like, really high-quality jobs like that either. So I see my, you know, I see my paycheck and I see how much is coming out for my taxes and things. And I'm like, don't you care about that? Whenever I get into conversations with other guys, I'm like, do you not care about how much of your money is being stolen from you? Like, um, and that, I, I don't know if that's just a close. Wow. I'm sorry, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just thinking like, you're a gay Trump supporting engineer. You suck at being a stereotype. I just... <laughs> wanted to point this like please get back in the box you are confusing lots of people with this individuality and individuation and having your own personality and not being easily categorizable damn you non-stereotypical people what i have no, to tell great. you i have to tell you too stefan i'm not a huge fan of shopping so you know just just label me deplorable okay freddie mercury 
I, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I'm sorry. I don't need to go anywhere with that. Uh, Thoughts on Freddie Mercury? That's all I need to know. Oh, oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, good. Good. That's not a stereotypical question, by the way. It's just, you know, my mark of quality. With Mike, it's uh, Michael Jackson. But anyway. Um, so, so there is... I mean, have you, have you looked... I'm sure you have, obviously, right? But have, have you looked or, or explored much of the sort of gays for Trump phenomenon or, or gay conservative uh, online groups or anything like that? I, I'm part of those groups, but uh, I haven't really like pursued anything beyond like friendships from them just because uh, I've tried the long distance thing. And oh, yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah, that, that's not going to happen for me. So, uh, Long distance, it's a wonderful way to put your life on hold for infinity. And I think especially for gay men, too, um, uh, the tendency to be able to just be like, oh, hey, I could just quick hook up with somebody else since you're not yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Countdown to promiscuity begins now. <laughs> Does anyone have an egg timer? Right, right. No, it could, I mean, there is, there's that risk in all, all of those relationships, but... No, I'm I'm not a big one for managing people's relationships, but without a doubt, long-distance relationships should be completely illegal. Uh, that's the only law that I'm willing to, because they just waste so much time. They're incredibly environmentally unfriendly because everyone's got to travel to shag uh, all the time, and uh, they just put everyone's life on hold. And I say this having had uh, a few long-distance relationships. Hey, we met we met in university, <laughs> and now we're going not to be... A... No, no, take the Band-Aid off, people. It goes nowhere. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, um, never can say goodbye, boy. So, yeah, as far as that goes, you know, I've, I've, I've had this question from, from a lot of people. You probably heard it on the show before. Or if you haven't, good, because then this will sound original. But um, you, have to, you have to become famous. If you're looking for a rare person, you have to become famous. You have to start being out there. You have to be... Online, you have to be known because then people can find you. People of a like mind can find you. Like, I was happily married before I started the show. But if I was looking for a particular kind of woman, uh, I'm pretty sure that I'd meet her through this show, <laughs> right, through doing this show. And you just, when you're looking for things that are scarce, you have to be so visible that the scarce things can find you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think before I actually have it written down that you said, do great things and great people will come to you. So, yeah. So, you know, and, and you do good things for the world as well. Um, because, you know, the relationships between sort of conservatives and gays, I mean, now it's both sides, in a sense, being kind of jerks, right? Right. Because, you know, the, the, the conservatives are like, well, why the hell would we want to try and, and woo over the gay community because they're just going to vote for the Democrats anyway. Right? And and then the gays are like, well, the Republicans don't show any interest in us, so we might as well vote Democrat. It's like, you know, this is kind of a loop, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, so just be... Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such gay advice. <laughs> just be out there. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it, it is. It's just because you know this, right? You know, but it, maybe sometimes it's helpful to hear it from from someone, but... You're just going to have to be out there and be visible, and uh, great people will find you. But, you know, sort of, in a sense, beating the bushes uh, around where you are, you're probably going to come up pretty empty. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right? Yeah. Do you want us to forward any communication? Uh, never mind. We don't do dating <laughs> services here. But, uh, yeah, go be, go be famous and, and uh, get yourself the man of your dreams. All right. Thank you. 
All right. Thanks, man. All the best. All right. Bye-bye. I get so many emails from people with the exact same problem. So stand up, people. Be the tall poppy. You'll find each other. It's helpful. I, I don't think we want to necessarily bring in the tall poppy analogy. Just, do, do you remember how that ends? Whack! It ends with decapitation. And finding a tremendous romantic relationship? Or, or not. Oh, no. Or, yeah. Or decapitation. Either way, your problems will be solved. That's true. That is true. All right. Up next, we have Desiree. She wrote in and said... Do you think that my refusal to adopt the racialized worldview of the United States is the denial of reality or merely the maintenance of a healthy mindset? Is it impossible for us as humans to not place persons into categories or in-groups and out-groups and assign value judgments to these categories, particularly in the realm of politics? She also has some questions regarding IQ, but we'll stop with that for now. That's from Desiree. Hello, Desiree. How are you doing tonight? Hi, hi, Stefan. Um, I, I want to point out you. My name is actually pronounced Desiree. Like you, you put the stress on the ray. Just Desiree. Like hearing it. Yeah, I just keep hearing it, and my mind just wants to correct it. So it's not a. I appreciate deal. that. I will. I will also try and mispronounce Appalachian during the show as well. Um, that's an for a, a call in the way. So, all right. Uh, is there more that you wanted to um, explain uh, about your question or perspective? Yes. Uh, I felt like I had to sort of form it into a question, but I, I'm i just sort of frustrated as someone who came from another country. I'm from Jamaica, and basically I felt I feel as if I've been thrown into this, this uh, I guess, identity politics that I'm not used to and having to... I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm going to guess that you're, you're black, right? Yes, yes, I am. Right, so, so you're now... You're now on one team or another team. There's no other option for you. Is that like you're on this team or you're that you're either with us or you're an Uncle Tom. You're with us or you're an R. Is it something like that? Is that what you mean? Well, that's what I'm afraid of. I just don't speak to anybody about it because I, I don't want that to happen. And that's the thing. I, I feel almost silenced because uh, I'm worried about the backlash, I guess, if I just speak. Now, what's um, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Desiree. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt. What, what is the speech? that you hear in your head that's keeping you from talking? What is it that you're afraid of hearing from those around you? Uh, well, there are a couple of things to, to factor in. Um, I guess what I, what I hear is something like, um, you, you, you haven't been here long enough to understand. Uh, you don't care about the struggles of black people in this country. Um, I also, throughout college, I dated someone who was white, and I feel as if I would get some kind of, I don't know, I'm worried about people saying it's because I was, you know, so into that world. And I also went to, uh, I went to school in uh, upstate New York, which is pretty white. And um, that's the other thing. I didn't, I I think I'm kind of going off from the question, but the other thing is that I didn't think about any of this while I was going to college, which says a lot because... You know, if I was being so horribly mistreated, I probably would have thought about it a lot more. But I didn't think about it until I came to the city. And, right. I mean, wasn't it wasn't it nice to not have to think about race every four minutes? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like I can't escape it. I, can't, I just can't. You can, escape well, it. Did you? I don't know if you watched. Did you watch the Grammys at all? No. I uh, no. I don't have time really. To, okay. Oh. You know, I didn't either um, because I don't have cable. But um, but. So apparently Adele 
like that, the British singer, she won and Beyonce didn't. And so it, it like within like eight minutes, it's like the, the newspaper audit did, did Beyonce lose to Adele because of racism? And it's like, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Of course, because we can't spend five minutes on this damn planet without talking about racism and making everybody hyper-conscious and hyper-aware and paranoid and frustrated. And oh my God, like, can we just stop for five minutes? That's all we're asking. Anyway, go on. Yeah. And I guess the, the big thing for me is that moving here, I just found it very difficult to relate to people. And I, I like people a lot like I really like talking to people and hearing from them and just interacting with them but I discovered um through a couple of means like I I worked as an EMT for a bit which is a pretty like low-wage sort of job and I ran into a lot of people uh black people specifically and uh I didn't like them because the way they interacted with me was was sort of like why do you talk so well and um I don't know, they just like, it didn't make me feel comfortable for me being who I was because I wasn't who they expected. Expected. And sorry, which, which group was this? Um, just a, a job I had as an EMT working with oh, right, mostly right. Uh, black people. And uh, I guess, I, I don't know, I just, I find it hard. And then the other thing um, that I've been thinking about a lot is when I was in college, um, I felt this sort of pressure to hang out with the black people because there, there weren't that many on campus. And I mean, I, I was, I pretty much ignored it because I was too busy doing what I was doing. But looking back on it, I don't know, I, I felt like, I definitely felt it and then I, I sort of got over it and ignored it. But I felt this like, you know, let's, let's bond together. And I don't know, I'm just not, I'm not used to that. Like, I'm not used to making friends in that way and it seems very very common here mm. that, that like yeah but there's more one so two things two <laughs> things first of all it's really cool hearing your jamaican accent creep up from time to time <laughs> i just wanted to mention that like that that's really cool everybody says that, that. <laughs> no it's it's great it really like you know what i'm just i'm getting a tan from my <laughs> For my, you, like you, because you, you know, I'm, not only am I white, like I'm in Canada, it's February, <laughs> so I'm actually getting vitamin D from your accent. It's a beautiful thing for me. I don't mention that. Yeah. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, so when you grew up in Jamaica, were you in like a mostly black neighborhood or community? Well, Jam- that's the thing. Jamaica is mostly black. Um, but yeah, that's right. Like ninety ninety five percent or something, right? Um, maybe maybe less than that because there there are lots of like mixed people, but they would probably right. not consider themselves anything but black, I guess. Um, uh, I would say I'm not sure how to answer that because where I lived isn't really no 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 okay. I would say yes, it was mostly black, but it was also lots of uh, Asians and some whites, and that's the other thing about here is like Asians and black people do not interact here for why no sorry when you when you say asians do you mean like chinese japanese or do you mean indian or both both mostly chinese. okay but, there are lots right. of chinese chinese and indians are like pretty big groups um right okay Jamaica. um so it's just it's just like a world that i'm not used to and uh, you know i didn't really think about it but now i've i've really started thinking about it with everything that's going on and uh, like the other person was saying, I, I also, I get very annoyed because I find that I was writing, I wrote this long email to Mike um, 
because I feel as if there are these people who have my color who claim to be speaking for me and they don't share my ideas whatsoever. And perhaps they share the idea of the majority, but I don't really know because I feel like they're like extreme people sort of drown out the voices of all the people who don't necessarily agree with everything you have to say. But then they say that they're like talking for you and it's like, are you talking for me? Because I don't, I don't really feel like you are. Now, do you mean sort of the Black Lives Matter groups and so on? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, if, if I claim to speak for white people, white people would just laugh at me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. thanks, thanks. You know, please don't think of us as just one big blob. And, and it's the same thing with the black community, right? I mean, there's there's blacks from Somalia. There's blacks from Jamaica. There's blacks from South Africa. There's blacks from Iceland, I'm sure, right? I mean, then there's lots of different cultures, lots of different histories. We can't, you know, saying that you speak for black people is is as ridiculous as one person saying that he speaks for everyone from Japan. You know, I mean, it's it's not it's not how things work yeah, but at the- all, right? So I understand that. Well, the problem I see with it is I realize that um, different races don't interact with each other. Like, I've met people very much. I met people who are like... You mean, sorry, you mean in America? In America. Yeah, I met yeah, people yeah. who are like, you're my first black friend. Or I like introduce them to my white friend and they're like, this is like my first, you know, like getting to really know, know someone. And like, that, that's really crazy to me. This is mostly in the city because you're... you're I don't know, you're like these groups living side by side, but you are so, so segregated. It's just, that was like very shocking to me, sort of when I like moved to the city. Like they don't interact. So when they're they're hearing people speak about the struggles of a certain group on the TV, it's like, that's not, that's not real life. That's not actually interacting with people. No, and I mean, you know? uh, as, as you probably know, like West African blacks are physically indistinguishable from American blacks. Western Afri- West African blacks have a higher per capita income in America than whites do. Still not as high as Asians because of that IQ thing, but, you know, that's just the way, that's just the, way the brain rolls, that neck of the woods. But um, this, uh, you know, in, in Jamaica, of course, I would assume that people don't necessarily feel oppressed by white people because it's such a majority non-white population that it's kind of hard to blame whitey for everything because right whereas in america of course you know is it 12 or 13 percent of the population is is black and and uh they feel of course uh, i shouldn't say here i'm just like see how easy it is damn well to do like here don't talk about everyone well they (laughs) feel like but there are some sections within the black community uh particularly sort of the militant right the activist group they're like Mm. well all of the problems in the black community stem from you know, white racism, white privilege and this kind of stuff. It's kind of tough to feel that, of course, if you're in, you know, Haiti or you're in um, Jamaica or other places with a, a very low white population. It's tough to feel oppressed by like three guys putting on sunscreen. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, in America, of course, because of the majority white population, what's well, gone down a lot it used to be 90 percent. Now I think it's 65 percent and heading south pretty quickly. But um, I think there is that feeling that, well, you know, we're not in charge, and, and if we were, boy, things would be so much better. But then, of course, you look at places like Detroit, right? Detroit has been run by blacks and Democrats for, what, 50 years now? And it's gone from, like, um, the the richest city in, in North America in the 1950s, in 1960s, to, like, one of the poorest. And, and it's just been a complete mess and a complete disaster, despite the fact that, you know, blacks have been in charge and so on. So it's not just, you know, well, whites are in charge, therefore blacks are oppressed. Well, of course, that happens from time to time. It can happen the other way, too, as you can sort of see in South Africa now. But, um, yeah, it is. there is this answer for, for some sections of the black community, which is, well, you know, if we blame whitey, then um, everything's going to be all right. And I, 
I think they've been doing that for a while. I'm pretty sure that things have become all right. Yeah, that that's what makes that's the thing what makes it hard for me to sort of accept that because where I'm coming from, there are lots of problems in society, and there isn't that automatic. You know, it's the the legacy of I don't know, like slavery or segregation laws or redlining or et cetera, et cetera. They don't have that that immediate blame um, scapegoat and. Here, here they do, but I, it's hard for me to. And the other thing, too. Well, is, you know, I, I don't, the whole thing about slavery, you know, I know it's a big, big topic. I've got this whole thing, the, the truth about slavery and all that. So uh, I don't want to get. But the reality is that uh, if, um, if, if the blacks had remained in Africa, a good proportion of them would still be slaves because slavery is still going on a lot uh, in Africa. Um, you know, the, 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 the white race actually practiced slavery for the least amount of time in all of human history. Right in the Middle East, in in Africa, in in other places around the world, slavery was practiced uh, for you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The sort of white slave trade that that is talked, the Atlantic slave trade, it went on for like two hundred, two hundred and forty years, and then uh, the the British ended uh, ended slavery uh, around the world. Like not just right in the British Empire, worked to end slavery as much as they could around the world. And you know the old like no good deed goes unpunished. You know, hey, does do the British people get a lot of thanks for that? No, racists and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the the I, you know I, the the slavery thing's got to have a half life at some point. I mean, it can go on and on, right? I mean, the, you, there is no end to history. History will always be there. History, you know, will will always be a part of the past and will never ever go away. It'll sort of recede through time, but it won't ever. Uh, vanish. And, you know, I I say this to individuals. I don't know if you've known people in your life who uh, even wrongs that have been done to them personally. Have you ever known anyone or maybe you've done it yourself where they just they brood on the wrongs that have done to themselves and it kind of robs them of a lot of joy and opportunity? Um, Yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do know people. It's a painful thing to see, right? Yes. Yeah, it is because you can't you can't help them because it's all in their head no matter what you say. Right. Now, what do you, just, if you don't mind, I know we've, you've got questions as well, but, mm. but damn it, I have a question in my, if you don't mind. So, um, Go ahead. when you, when you came from Jamaica to America and, and you had some exposure to sort of the black culture and, and black lifestyles in the areas where you were, obviously not a big collective, but, uh, what were your thoughts and impressions, uh, on encountering, <laughs> um, black culture in the U.S.? Um, the, the culture that you did? Uh, um, not a difficult question at all. Would you, would you say? <laughs> Nice, no, nice and easy. Well, I have to specify that I am, every time I, I talk about America, I try to remind myself, I've only been in the Northeast and I, you know, like I travel a lot for my job, but it's, I'm not, like I don't know that much. Um, so I would say that actually I, I only really encountered it after I left, left college and I've only been where I am now for about a year and a half and uh, I want to leave. It's actually a lot of Caribbean people who are around me, who I guess they, there's sort of this fusion between Black American culture and Caribbean people. And um, so I, <laughs> I, I also want to say, but the, the truth is, like, when I came here, I thought to myself, you know, like, I didn't leave Jamaica to come and interact with people here. And I also met people who would be like, oh, you're not like other Jamaicans I've met. And I think to myself, well, that's because, like, if I were in Jamaica, like, these people wouldn't, I wouldn't really interact with them or, I don't know, like, be friends with them. And, uh, you know, like, there are certain things, like, 
like when you're walking on the road in Jamaica, like guys will talk to you, not in a nice way. And like, I never really experienced that in the U.S. until I came to where I am now. Like little things like that. It's just like, like I, I wish you would just stay, stay there and not, not be here. Cause that, that's not what I'm trying to, to experience. Do you mean like, like guys who'd say like, that's a nice outfit? <laughs> Mm, no, no. It's a, I mean, guys can say those must to you be very you, expensive shoes. No, no. That. Guys can say things to you, and it's like funny, like even if you don't like them, or but it's like it, it feels like like disrespect, or um, I don't know, like one guy. I don't remember what he said to me, but it was it was he just said it in a sleazy way that makes you feel uncomfortable. It just makes you feel uncomfortable, and yeah. I, I actually started talking back. Um, and, uh, they were, they were always very shocked and I like doing that, but sometimes I don't have the time because I usually end up in a discussion, like a, mm. a, minor, a little discussion with them. Um, what else? Uh, and then they, they also drive very, well, that might just be New York, New York people. So I won't, I won't right. say that one. Um, but there's some things I like, you know, like I like hearing music from, from Caribbean, um, and like, I guess in some ways it's nice to be around familiar faces, but in some ways it's sure. not because it's like if I'm in Jamaica and I'm making friends, there's I don't connect with you instantly because you're from where I'm from. I connect with you because I like you, and right. we have interesting discussions and we share similar values and you like to think and we can talk and debate. But here it's like because there are these different groups that it's so very it's so easy to separate them. Um, it's very easy to like, oh, let's just be friends because you look like me or you talk like me or etc. And uh, I can't do that. And I, I feel like that happens a lot when you have these. Right. I mean, I would imagine that you'd have more in common with a white person who grew up in Jamaica than with a black person who's never been there. I mean, in many ways, right? Yeah, I feel like there's a, I have one uh, best friend. I don't know if she'll listen to this. And uh, she is half half Chinese, half black. And I feel like if she came here, um, people, like, if we just, like, went to the same place at different, like, uh, say she was put in my place, she would probably have a very different experience here just because uh, she went to school in Canada. She's back in Jamaica, though, and she said that people always thought she was Filipino. And um, I feel like different people would be attracted to talking to her or making friends with her than me, even though we're similar, you know, like we have different cultures and whatever, just because over here, uh, I know she was up there in Kent, but over here, um, the cultures, the cultures are divided in some way um, along color lines. And, you know, in Jamaica, it's, it's mixed, but I, I think it's like an actual melting pot. There are like some tensions a little bit, but not really, but, you know, like, I'm going to go off on a tangent. Uh, there are some tensions, but not. It's pretty homogenous, I would say. Like people, they have the same identity, and here, like the identity is 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 just. I don't know. People are just in these groups, and they don't interact, and it's sad. And uh, I guess it I is no. It. <laughs> it it is sad. It is sad, and just um, we just the mic looked this up. Uh, so in in Jamaica, this is like the mo- most recent stuff we could find so blacks blacks 92.1 percent uh, mixed 6.1 percent east indian 0.8 percent other 0.4 percent unspecified 0.7 percent i assume that's the lizard people or whatever the hell um i don't know what that is but um so it's it's 
largely, I mean, there are there are more blacks proportionately in Jamaica, and I assume the mix is is you know blacks and half black or something like that. So you know more more blacks than than there were, you know, a, a white majority in America like a hundred years ago. And so it is a largely homogenous society, racially homogenous society. And racially homogenous societies do have, you know, some real benefits. And, I, you know, maybe this is kind of what you're talking about. And, you know, tell me if I'm – I don't mean to sort of tell you your own experience. So tell me if I'm going uh, wrong here at all. You might but, be. Um, you, might, you might be. <laughs> but I'll let yeah, you I, I might be. So look, but tell me. Tell me, obviously. I'm, this is just my sort of thoughts about it. Like, I mean, if you look at a place like South Korea, right? My daughter was very interested in South Korea, so we looked it all up the other day. It's like 99% homogenous, right? And, you know, very low crime rate and no racial tensions. Why? Because it's the same race, right? And when you start to get a lot of mixing of, of races, and I don't think this is a problem necessarily because of the mixture of races. When you get the mixture of races and you get a highly activist, racially motivated government that wants to wade in and, and solve all these problems and give affirmative action to this group, which then causes resentment among this group, and then give advantageous test scores to this group, which then cause problems for this group. Like in, in certain colleges in America, lots of them, in fact, uh, Asians are penalized in their entrance exams, and blacks' uh, scores are, are increased artificially, right? So blacks go up 10%, I think whites stay about the same. Asians go uh, reduce 10%. So then the Asians get upset saying, well, wait a minute. I worked hard. Uh, you know, I got my scores. Why are my scores going down and the blacks are going up? And there are lots of, uh, lots of problems. And then when the welfare state comes in, it tends, to, it tends to capture the poorest sections in society and keep them that way. And so then if you have a disproportionately high number of blacks in America who are on welfare, that causes resentment among other groups who feel like, well, you know, gosh, I mean, I don't want to pay all these taxes for this, you know, dysfunctional environment where lots of single moms and, you know, crime and so on. So I think, you know, uh, the possibility of sort of people from different races uh, getting along more benevolently, and I think that could happen, but I don't think it happens when you get a lot of different races and ethnicities together with a government that plays favorites. I think that's just like a recipe because the same thing happened with religions, right? When there was the government was playing favorites with religion in in Europe like a couple of hundred years ago, then religions they couldn't get along because everybody wanted to get the favor of the government and use the government to advance their own interests at the expense of other people's interests or other religions' interests and eventually you just had to separate church and state, right? You had to say, the state can't favor one religion over the other because the moment it does, I mean, you know, you, you try, this as a try this as a parent, you know, you have eight kids and try having one favorite. I mean, <laughs> you just create conflict all over the place, right? And so I think that if we separate race and the state, in other words, if there was no laws that could be passed sort of pro or against any race or ethnicity, I mean, ideally gender too, if we had a race-neutral state in the way that we have a religion-neutral state, I think that people would get along a lot better. And I think a lot of this tension and frustration and hostility would uh, would diminish. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's sort of my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, I, I just lost my thought. Um, did I completely make you lose your train of thought? <laughs> yeah, I'm so like sorry. I had some, I had I'm so a sorry. And uh, it, it sort of disappeared. 
Because you. Do you want me to just keep rambling until it comes back, or is that just going to make it worse? Probably yeah, make I think it worse. It'll make it worse because I'm trying to mm. pay attention to you. Because um, you were at first, you were asking, uh, you were talking about the uh, countries being the races, a lot of homogeneity. Uh, uh, yeah, homogenous countries. Um, yeah, they they don't they at least don't have racial problems. Like you never get called a racist in Iceland. Right, because it's just white people or, or oh, Jamaica. You're okay. not really going to get called a racist much, right? I, and, I have my thoughts. I have my thoughts. I'm sorry? I have you have your thoughts. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say that I see all of that stuff as hypocrisy because it's like they're trying to level the playing field. But what they're, well, first of all, I find a lot of it insulting and it's like it doesn't give people the chance to prove themselves and to like, you know, like be their best. And I don't know, just like, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's hard, like I know personally, but it's good to forge yourself in a way, in a hard world, uh, because that, it makes you grow. But um, if you're trying to level the playing field, you can't then be, be be treating others on the basis of something that they have no control over. It's like it's the same thing that you're you're trying to fix, and then you're just doing it to other people to fix the the other group and. I know it's like you're trying to correct the wrongs of the past, but it's unfair to the people in the present. So I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get that. Well, it'll never end, <laughs> right? Because, because let's say that you know, and I remember, I think it was Eric Holder who said, "Oh, affirmative action," because you know it was supposed to be a temporary measure. I think put into the '60s or early '70s, it was supposed to be a temporary measure. You know, help American blacks get a leg up. Although the sad thing is, before the welfare state, the American blacks were doing pretty well as far as getting into the middle class and gaining wealth and all of that. The welfare state stopped all of that progress, which is really heartbreaking. But but there was supposed to, it was supposed to be a temporary measure. And someone, I think it was Eric Holder, the former attorney general, people were saying, well, when, when do you think affirmative action might be ending? And he's like, oh, it's barely even begun. And people are like, really? 50 years? It's barely even begun? Because what's going to happen then is there's going to be affirmative action for 100 years. And then we're going to need affirmative action for whites <laughs> because, you know, they've been locked out and, and diminished from their opportunities in certain professions. And then and then after 100 years, it'll need to go to the Chinese. And, then, you know, the kid will never end. Yeah. Because we'll just yeah. it'll be a pendulum go back and forth forever and ever. Yeah. And I, I think this also has to do with with my uh, uh, upbringing. You know, like it, it was very important to me to to like treat other people as how you want to be treated is you know it was pretty much um my family is very christian i'm not but like i was raised that way and those values are pretty they're really instilled in me and i didn't realize it until kind of recently meeting other people who don't really agree with me but you like it, it's i strive to be like a good person and uh to follow the golden rule and things like that and like if i see someone being i don't know like being seen as a bad person for something that they did not do, it's, it hurts my heart in a, in a way. Like I met, I met this, uh, not I met you, I knew him through a friend, this guy, and he was saying, he was saying that he, I can't give you his exact words, but he was basically, and I know you won't like, you won't like this, but he was saying that, um, he was like deriding his culture as a, as a white, male he was like something about like someone was saying like he was mocking actually things like like things like what you would say like white people should be proud of their history and the things that they've done um you know not the bad things obviously and he was responding to that and saying like we're like that's not true because in his mind being white is like 
just the legacy of and European colonization and etc etc and uh, I mean it's actually also interesting because he is uh, if he ever listens to it he will know who he is he's Quaker and you know from my history like growing up in Jamaica they, they were always like Quakers were like the they were fighting for the abolition of slavery and blah 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 but he associates he identifies with you know the all the, the bad stuff and I think that's really sad because it's like every group every single group has it's evils. And I also think that because I see evils in my country and they're black people. So I don't know. I, I just, I find that really, really it sad. Is sad. It is sad. And I, I mean, I, I try to counsel against taking pride in things that you haven't personally achieved because it's kind of sometimes can be a way of substituting other people's achievements for your own. But I think there's stuff to admire in white culture. I mean, there's stuff to admire in black culture. I mean, there's stuff to admire. Sociability in black culture is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's something that, you know, as I mean, I grew up as a sort of shy British kid and I was sort of yanked from school to school and from place to place and country to country and and so I was sometimes for me the, the socialization aspect like just going up and chatting to people and you yeah, know like when yeah. I was when I was younger but you know my black friends were all like eh, just go up and chat you know like it was it was so easy <laughs> and like this social ease the ease of socialization through the best parties they threw the my friend from Jamaica Man, I would I kill to go to one of his parties just once more in my life. Yeah, know, Jamaicans just party sort of, really hard, and I do miss. Yes, that. they do. <laughs> yes, they do. But, and there's this ease of of uh, of socialization, this ease of of social comfort that that I admire and learned a lot from my black friends about how to just be more comfortable going up and chatting with people and not being so British and white. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's brutal. Yeah, actually, and, I really um, want to say something. Um, yeah, go ahead. So if anybody ever visits uh, Jamaica who's not from Jamaica, the one, the one way I could tell very quickly that someone was not from Jamaica, um, not just if they were wearing socks and sandals, which is another indicator of being a tourist, <laughs> is uh, if they walk into a room and they just don't make eye contact with anybody. They like look sure. at the person they're going to talk to instantly. You know that they're, they're, right. not, they're not Jamaica. Because they, there's like, you have to like, acknowledge people that people still say good morning and good evening which is like unheard of where at least where i've been here so there's definitely and i just find that very interesting yeah there's stuff to admire in in the white culture there's stuff to admire in the black culture and oriental cultures and 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 even black culture and white culture i mean there's lots of different cultures but there's lots of different things that that various groups have added to the human story which i think is uh, it's great, but you know, to sit there and say, "Well, you know, white culture is bad, or European culture is bad," or I mean, that's just that's ridiculous and so counterfactual, so yeah. counterfactual. I mean, the idea that Europeans get singled out for the slave trade—I mean, good lord! <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous and how how racist and how yeah, stupid. because they, I mean, like I I studied, I took a course in uh, not that I remember a lot of it, but I took a course in African history, which made me cry actually multiple times. Um, uh, from the 1800s to the present. And, you know, it was very clear that I, I know people say that they didn't know that the slavery was going to be different, etc. but they, it couldn't have happened without cooperation from the people in Africa. So it's, it's just, it's not, I don't know, like evil is not unique. Because at some point they must realize like what is happening. Like it's, 
Well, it's, it's an interesting question, and I don't have any answers to it. It's sort of just a mind exercise. If I were, and this is obviously a bit of a stretch in, in many ways, but let's say that I was a black guy, you know, 500 or 600 years ago in Africa. Knowing the future of the continent of Africa versus knowing that my descendants, like American blacks, are like 30 times richer than blacks in Africa, would I want to be captured? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it's a weird question. I don't have any answer. But I can see the case being made both ways. Sorry, go ahead. Um, that's something else that I think about. Like, uh, like I, I know like, just because you have things you, doesn't mean you can't complain. But you know, like, I, I don't really feel like poverty here is real poverty. You know, like everybody, like if you if you want it, you can you can do something. Like you can get help, or I don't know. Like I feel like the kind of poverty that I see here is not as like in your face and like uh, heartbreaking. Like seeing kids like begging, begging like people driving by. Like you you don't see that kind of stuff here. And it's it's just sort of a it's a slightly annoying when people complain about how awful the US is in terms of how they like deny things and opportunities to people when there are places where like that actually happens where you have no no way out. And I don't really right. feel like that. I don't know if that was directly related to what you were saying, but it made me think about that. No, I think it's I think it's a fair it's a fair it's a fair a fair addition. Now, did you want to do some of the race and IQ stuff, or do you want to skip it? I mean, I know we we you'd mentioned it in the in the email um, yeah. at the beginning because it, it is it's interesting because I've talked about race and IQ with blacks before mm-hmm. and whites and Asians and so on. I actually find that the blacks that I've talked to about it maybe it's of course a self selected group of you know people like yourself who want to talk to me and so on. But I haven't found it to be that volatile a topic. It tends to be volatile among white leftists, right? Not not so much like you know the people in the in black blacks in the black community want to solve the problems, you know. And if this is part of the challenge, then you know let's sit down and 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 wrestle with it and try and figure it out and all that. But the white leftists go kind of mental about it. But um, you know these are sort of the facts on the ground as it stands. So I don't know if you wanted to dig into that at all because that may be a challenging topic for you. Maybe more so in America than in Jamaica. Uh, well, I I don't know if I would bring it up. Um, I think more so, more so in in America because because like in Jamaica, um, people like you, you, the schools you go to, I don't know, like you're selected based on like how well you do and blah blah blah. And there are lots of black people who are in the good schools, and um, I mean they're, they're probably more represented by. Uh, lighter colors but it's it's definitely based on your aptitude there's just no question about that so it's like you can't like argue let me tell you an old joke about uh skin color <laughs> so here's an old joke it's not offensive and i think it's quite illustrative so there's this old joke about how um in in, in 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 South Africa, they got so sick and tired of everyone being graded by their skin color that they just decided to paint everyone blue. They painted everyone blue. All the kids were blue. Everyone was blue. And then immediately, uh, in the lineup for the school bus, they said, okay, all the, all the light blue people first, please. <laughs> you know, just how <laughs> gradations of skin color are so hard for us to 
avoid in terms of consciousness and preference and so on. Um, is well, is in Jamaica? Is there is there a um, uh, a gradation or, or or a sense of prestige based on uh, skin tone, skin color, lightness to darkness, or darkness to lightness, for that matter? Well, I know historically there was, and I know that people still think that, but I personally have not experienced that. Um, and I would say too that uh, I I told someone this might sound absolutely crazy. But like I didn't see myself, or I still kind of don't. But I I won't like debate. I didn't see myself as a black person. I just saw myself as a person, and I didn't really think right. of think, think of see myself as that until coming here, where that's like. And isn't that nice? Yeah, I prefer it. <laughs> like, I yeah, prefer no kidding. It. I mean, I honestly, until I sort of until racial politics began to emerge, you know, and I I know that they've always been there, but I think they've really gone through the stratosphere over the last couple of decades. But I grew up and I, I didn't think about race and I didn't think about black or white or Asians. I had I had and have friends of, of every ethnicity and, and so on. And I just, I never thought of myself as white. I just thought of myself as Steph. Yeah, like I thought of myself as someone who's artistic, someone who yeah. talks a lot, someone who thinks. Um, I don't know, like it, just like personality traits. or. Oh, I bet you you'll know, have a good debate too. Huh? Sorry? I bet you love. I bet you love a good debate too. Yeah, yeah. I'm very argue, <laughs> very argue. Oh yeah, yeah. I can, I can picture that. I can picture that. Uh, but I, I most arguments with people who are close to me. So, right. Because so, then I, I just because then you know they know who they know who I am and they don't like they know I'm not like they know what I stand for and right. like other people they would assume things. Um, yeah. So for me, like I would have been very happy to go to my grave without particularly talking about race, and I'd love to have lived in a world where. Um, that was not such a constant topic, but it, it became that way, you know, as, as I got, or maybe, maybe it was always there and I sort of grew into it or grew into an awareness of it. But, uh, for me, um, not really thinking much about race gr- growing up and, and not thinking of myself as whites, but just as me and with my characteristics rather than my skin color. But for me, you know, when it, it was just this incessant, you know, white white people are bad and racist and slave owners and and you know all this kind of stuff. And particularly when I, when I became a father, when I became a father, it's like I don't want my daughter to be told that. I don't <laughs> I don't want I don't want my daughter to grow up thinking that she's part of some demonic breed of human <laughs> beings. I mean, that's a strong way to put it, but you know that that's not that's not right. <laughs> you know, that's not. I can't say that about any other group, and I would yeah. never imagine saying that about black people or, or oriental people. Yeah, or, it's, you know, it's, and, and so like it's sort of like okay, fine, okay, fine. What the hell is going on? And that's when I started sort of really digging in and doing the research and uh, and coming up with with some of the stuff that I've talked about in the show, you know, culture and IQ and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's it. You know, I'm not so this willing race warrior. It's just like okay, well, I guess I got to figure this out because this doesn't seem to be going well at all. Yeah, I want to say something because I, I, I want to say when I heard you first start talking about uh, race and IQ, this is what this is what happened to me. Um, I heard it. Uh, I was like, I don't really like where Steph is going with this, uh, but maybe he won't talk about it that much. But then you started talking about it all the time. And then I stopped listening to your show for a few months because I was like, I don't want to listen to this. Not because I was I had a I had a reaction to it, like an emotional reaction. I was like, well, no, tell me that. Tell me that just before we go on, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's see. What was it? My emotional reaction. I think I felt some anger. I think I felt a, a little sure. bit of anger. 
Now, uh, towards me in particular, towards the information, to, I mean, uh, it's fine if you're mad at me. I mean, I'm just, no, I'm, you know, the, nah, I'm not mad at you. I, I love, I love your show. Um, uh, I think towards the information, because I, I wrote about it a little bit, but I just don't like the idea. Like if I had a son, I wouldn't want him hearing like, you know, like this is you're automatically, and I know it's not, it's like an average. So people can be outstanding, but it's, I don't want that to be like the theme that they would hear growing up. So I had a, I had a problem with that, but um, at the same time. It it comes down to our kids too, right? I mean, it it comes down to what we don't want our kids to hear. And I I completely understand that. And I would of course never, ever say to, to any group's children, oh, well, you know, you, this is the the bell curve and you're like, no, of course, God, aim for the, the maximum you can. That's what we all do. Yeah, but that, but then I started to. Well, I came back first of all because uh, your show makes me think, and like uh, that's wonderful. But <clears throat> also, I realized that it would be up to me to like instill that like sense of self worth, self worth, and ambition, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And like I wouldn't need to really worry about I don't know, like outside influences. Like I have faith in that just because knowing myself and like how my parents raised me. All of that, like I, I don't feel like that bothered by a lot of things that people are are bothered about because I feel very strong in my sense of self, I guess. Right. So I worried about that less. Um, and then to actually answer my my question, I thought about it after I wrote it to you. Um, I don't think Mike read it, so I'm gonna read it because I have it written down. It was how would I bring up a discussion of race and IQ with others, considering that when I first heard Stefan talking about it, after listening and loving his, loving his show for years, I couldn't initially handle it. And I decided that I just wouldn't bring it up. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's a pretty volatile sort of discussion um, to bring up. And, you know, like, I, I think it's better if people sort of discover it on their own and then, like, have their reaction. And I actually started... Uh, looking at like the research papers, I only read like the abstracts or stuff, and I think there should be more research, by the way. But um, oh gosh, can you imagine if we could solve it? Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'll I'll be real quick, and I'll. But imagine, imagine if it's like okay, well, we can do this, and the problem can be solved. And now, whether that's environmental or whether that's something genetic, I don't. But can you imagine if the problem could be solved, and it could be solved relatively easily? And for decade after decade after decade, we've had all of these problems when it could be solved so easily. Could be. I don't know. I, mean, yeah. I don't know, right? Yeah. Well, but how incredibly frustrating that would be. It never gets solved. <laughs> it's just assumptions and fears and et cetera. So I don't know how it's going to happen because I, I just don't think I – don't, I think people would just be very afraid of just the past, I guess, because I know that people did think that Blacks weren't fully human, and people did think that, you know, like, they were property. I think people are just afraid of that sort of mentality going in that direction. Yes, and I, I agree with that. And, and, of course, I mean, there's no question. I mean, equality under the law, full humanity for everyone. No, there's no doubt and no mind. But here's the thing. I understand. I mean, it's, it's alarming and it's frustrating and it's, it's annoying and enraging at times. I understand that. But the solution can't be to call white people racist. No, it's not. Right. That, not that, 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 that can't be considered a just solution, right? I mean, you know the statistics as well as I do. I mean, 20% of, uh, of African blacks, uh, American, sorry, uh, uh, of African American blacks are smarter than the average white. But there are a lot of people 
in minority communities who don't think that 20% of whites are not at all racist. A lot of people think whites are just racist and that's why blacks do badly. Like the, the answer can't be that whites are racist. That, that's unfair and unjust. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying no whites are racist. Of course, there's some white racists and so on. But well, And vice versa, too. And yeah, it, it, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge in every, uh, every community because, you know, yeah. some, some whites are horribly dumb, right? <laughs> I mean, there's I no question. But again, that's part of the bell curve. But I just, I, I, can't, I can't have my daughter growing up, and whatever I can do about it. I can't have my daughter growing up and thinking that she's somehow collectively responsible for problems in the black community like i just i can't i can't allow that yeah i can't i like whatever i can do to push back against that that's not fair it's not her fault it's not my fault yeah it's the question of um you bring this up a lot in your show but i think it's very similar to original sin you know like you grow up and <laughs> you're you're just damned <laughs> instantly original sunburn that's the problem <laughs> and, original uh, that's not right that's just it's not right i don't think it's right no yeah. it's it is it is a complex it is a complex problem. There is environment. There may be genetics. There are behaviors, right? I mean, I don't know if you listened to a conversation I had with a great man, the Reverend Jesse uh, Peterson. No, where he's saying, "Well, we don't we don't judge race. We judge behavior." Mm-hmm. He's a black preacher, for what that's worth, right? I've heard the name. And he really just blew my mind in like, so many levels, right? He's saying, "Look, we we don't judge race. We judge behavior." And if the black community exhibits certain behaviors, then they're going to get judged by those behaviors. Again, not all, but, you know, where there's a disproportionate amount of, say, criminality or single motherhood or dysfunctional communities or neighborhoods or addictions or whatever, then people aren't judging skin color. They're judging behavior. And that's a powerful statement. Yeah, it's also true that, you know, like speaking about all these racial stuff, it it ignores the real important stuff, which is like looking at yourself and working on yourself and you know like that's the most important thing so it's it's a disservice to pretty much everybody because there are people who feel like you know like solving the ills of the world comes down to like stopping some people from not liking some people based on their skin color and I feel like that may I mean hopefully it does but that might never happen because you can't police people's thoughts you can only police their actions and um uh, <clears throat> uh, I lost it. Is it, it <laughs> now, it's the it's the IQ stuff again. It's not like you're some sort of mole for me or anything like that. But mm-hmm. but is is the IQ topic? Does that come up at all in the um, uh, in the communities that that you've talked to or or been part of? Or is it is it even known? Or is it just known but not discussed or not even known? No, I think it. I think I would say no. The the word like IQ. No, I I don't really hear people talk about that. But. People do say, you know, like some people just aren't intelligent enough. So I guess it's a very similar thing. Like I think people recognize that people don't make good decisions and that does have to do with how much they think before they act. So I would say that, but I don't think they think about it so that they, they take in the big picture so much. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, how is it for you dating? Uh... uh if well, you date, I mean, I don't know, but it, 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 it's because you've got a cross-cultural thing going on too, right? Yeah. Well, mm, I, I've pretty much dated one person. I still, I'm in contact with this person. He's just very far away, so we're not together. So I don't really 
oh no, is it, is it still a long distance relationship? Because then I apologize for earlier <laughs> rant about long distance yeah. relationships, which may have come from a rather personal place. But, you know, if he's the guy and you've got a plan to get together, good. But uh, just yeah. yeah, be careful. It can be a bit of a time sink. I know. I know. I'm actually, remember I told you I was going to Spain. I'm going to visit him. Um, and he's supposed to come back soon, but I don't know. Holy Atlantic? Atlantic, really? <laughs> An entire ocean? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, no, because I've known him for such a long time that it, it started hard to imagine myself being with you know, He's like my, my best friend in a lot of ways. Right, right. But um, are you, are, do you have any plans to like close this distance or this gap? Of course. Yeah, he's from here. <laughs> he's, he's So he's coming back. I'm not an American citizen, um, so right. I'm not sure how things will work out. But I'm not, I'm not really worried about it, to be honest. I think my life will work out. I have faith in my abilities and, my, mm. you know, making things work out. Uh, I do, thought that I was stressed about it at all, but in the end, I think it will be fine. All right. Um, what do you mean in terms of, well, I would say, like, first of all, I, I don't interact with that many people. And if you're talking about color-wise, um... I find it hard, like I said, to relate to both black people and white people who are like stuck in that someone's a victim and someone's like the perpetrator mindset. Um, so a lot of times I meet someone and I'm like, oh, you're so cool. And I want to get to know you more. And let's talk. But then they, they say certain things. And you know, like I met this girl who was, she was from Jamaica. Um, and she had, but she had moved here when she was a lot younger and I hope she doesn't listen to this. Uh, but she, she said to me that she doesn't, I don't know if she had a bad experience. Maybe that that's true, but she was saying that she really feels like white people are evil. Like she said it in pretty much those words. And mm. I remember thinking that I don't know how to respond to her because in my mind, if you have that mindset and you're going around interacting with people, you're probably giving giving that kind of vibe off and yeah. you're not going to have a, a good experience. The, the white it, people I think are evil don't seem to be responding very positively to me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. I don't, I don't yeah, know. no, I mean, there was, uh, there, there was uh, yeah, I think a woman uh, who was in charge of the Black Lives Matter group in Toronto had some rather surprising posts about white people. People can go and look that up uh, if if they want. Um yeah, the countdown to resentment stuff is is pretty tough. It's it's pretty tough. Um, you know, I mean, you and I have been talking about some, you know, delicate and sensitive topics, very enjoyably, at least from yeah. from, from my standpoint, okay. and very productively, I think, as well. And, you know, we, we what's nice is that we're not going to have this countdown to resentment. Yes, but this is all well and good, but, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, some, some big racist statement or whatever, some bigoted statement about some group or whatever. You know, we, 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 you and I are wrestling with you know, some of the thorniest issues that are going on in the world, not just like in your country or my country, in the world. And these are challenging issues. Uh, and it, it bothers me that we can't have these kinds of conversations uh, yeah, well, more often. I do think that that has to do with the, the what I see as pretty deep segregation, just if I compare it to where I'm from. Uh, I know there's there's not as much with like, it's not like all the Indians live together and all the Chinese live together. Like they have their organizations and they like they assemble sometimes. And, you know, like my friend knows Kung Fu and I don't know it, but like 
<laughs> but um you like go to school with them and you go to their houses after school and like that i don't really see that happen happening here and i think that right. does contribute to it and maybe it never will yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry say again i said maybe it never will like, i don't know because the other thing I too don't, is yeah. like those groups um in jamaica like they they have a shared struggle you know like um not so much now but like there were poor whites in jamaica um our national motto is all many one people so it, that's probably also jumped into our heads um because you have to say like the, the pledge like when every like assembly and whatever when you're in prep school or primary school and um i don't like there's a shared there's like a, there's just like a shared thing here there is not a shared thing there is uh you're kind of strange to me and that's fine like i think it's fine when people are like curious and like want to know how I wash my hair. Like I don't find that offensive, but because um, they're not used to it. But um, uh, I remember the days when people were curious how I washed my hair. Uh, <laughs> I have many, lots, many by the way. Now, now it's just bowling ball polish. But anyway, go on. Also, before we end the show, I, uh, Mike didn't really answer me, but I was asked if I could like direct people to go to my website. I don't know if I should have asked it again beforehand. It's perfectly fine with me. I'm sure that I'm, I'll, I'll love to check it out. I'm sure your website will be perfectly delightful. So please go ahead. I hope so. It's um, desi-rae.com. Um, and then that's the other thing. I was thinking of starting a YouTube channel, sort of discussing this stuff. And I think that's kind of what made me want to like, call in. Because I had this I had this fear, as I said at the beginning, of just like, what people's response will be, you know, like, um, from what I've seen, people are just very, very emotional. And, uh, you know, like, I like to, I want to be liked, I guess, is the core of it. You know, like, I am a social right. <laughs> right. And yes, but you want to be, you want to be, you want to be liked by the right people. Yes. Right. Because, I mean, bad people will withhold approval from you in the hopes of getting you to conform to them. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I can only speak from obviously my my own experience but i i will say this that i think if you're honest and and have good intentions which i i'm sure that you are and will right but if you, if you're honest and have good intentions it can carry you through a lot of trouble because there, you you know as well as i do that there are people in society who will try to divide us. And they can try and divide us along race or class or gender or religion or whatever it is. So there are people who want to divide us. And those people will sow resentment and sow hostility and, and so on. And then there are other people who um, want to have open conversations about difficult topics and aren't interested in dividing and want to uh, unite us. And if you're in the latter group, which... You are, I've no doubt. But if you're in the latter group, you can do a lot of good in this world. And yes, okay, so the people who are trying to divide everyone will be upset with you. But to heck with them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what do we let them win and divide us all against each other so that we all end up glaring at each other from various bunkers around the social landscape, you know, plotting to overthrow each other and undermine each other and insult each other? That's not the kind of world we want to live in. It's so negative. Right, so do what you can to unite. And we must unite in the facts. And if there are uncomfortable facts, sure, we have to unite in those as well. But um, you may, yeah, so some people may dislike you, but you have a good heart, good facts, come from a good place. Um, 
and speak the truth, then the only people who will dislike you are people whose approval you shouldn't be really after in the first place. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It does. It, it does make sense. Uh, <laughs> but you still don't want to do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> Fine, it I, makes sense, but <laughs> in one ear, not the other. No, I do. I do. I do. I, I think I will. I already, like, I'm doing stuff with my art. And that's, that's the other thing, too. You know, because I'm trying to, like, do things with my art. So, um, eventually, you know, like, I'm going to, if I, people find out about my art, which I hope they do, eventually I'm going to have to speak what my actual opinions are. So I feel like it's better I just I'm right. upfront rather than disappoint anyone. And also because I paint a lot of black people. So, you know, like I don't want them to like form an attachment to me without understanding like exactly what my ideas, my ideas and ideals are. There are, there are people who, yeah, there are people who, who really want to solve problems in the world and they're willing to swallow the bitter pills of truth. Right now, if if the race and IQ stuff turns out to be, and I think it is, right, it's a big a big challenge for us to 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 deal with as a society. Okay, there are people who are going to want to ignore it, and that just means that they're not really interested in solving problems, but rather causing problems. And so, I think that you know, I mean, I I follow some black YouTubers, not because they're black, but just because I find them really really interesting and thought provoking. And you know, if if you follow uh, some find some people you admire on on youtube or other places regardless of their uh, race or or their gender and you know find out what they do and and you could even contact them pm them and i'm sure most people will be happy to chat with you and give you the pluses and minuses and give you some suggestions and so on you know never refuse other people's hard-won wisdom it's a mistake i've made (laughs) a couple of times in my life um you know and people are usually very happy to share their thoughts and experiences with you to help you avoid some of the mistakes that they probably made and so on. So, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, you, you can plan for it well and, and execute it well. And, um, I think you'll be surprised at what a positive impact it can make and, and how little hate there is actually out there for people who come from a good place and tell the truth. I hope so. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, um, thanks. Thanks for the website. Thanks for a great conversation. You're certainly, of course, welcome back anytime. Yes. And, um, me. yeah, if, if you do get a channel going, let, let us know and, We'll we'll do what we can to get you some uh, some eyeballs and some views. All right, thank you so much, Stefan. It was great to share my Thanks talk. so much. A, a great chat. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So, all right, let's move on. All right, up next we have Lauren. Lauren wrote in and said, "Our two-year-old has out of control temper tantrums that have been getting worse since he was 18 months old. We've just celebrated the birth of our daughter, who was born in January, and are trying to figure out how to handle my son's temper tantrums before I go back to work in March." I am on maternity leave now, and my husband is a stay-at-home dad, but with these tantrums, we can't figure out how he will handle our son and an infant. Please help. That's from Lauren. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? Oh, I'm very tired, seeing double, but I'm covering up one of my eyes, so I'll be okay. How are you doing? Oh, this is this is not the poster for motherhood that most people want to see. (laughs) I'm so exhausted, (laughs) and my boobs are drained. Wow, I'm sorry. Well, congratulations uh, on on number two, um, and uh, that's uh, very exciting. I mean, two two kids, the two two and under. That's that's a handful and a half. It is, but she was born on Trump Day, so that's got to be a sign, right? <laughs> is that right? Is she yeah. orange? No, I'm just kidding. All right, that's never a good <laughs> sign in a baby. Um, and um, so yeah, congratulations, uh, thrilled, um, great great stuff. But let's get to the meat of the matter. Your son. Your yes. 
when did this all begin? Well, about about when he was 18 months. Um, it started with whenever he didn't get his way with something or felt that we didn't understand what he wanted to tell us, he would start hitting himself. Like he'd smack himself in the face or he would uh, throw himself on the ground and hit his head on the floor. And this was kind of alarming to us. And apparently one out of five boys have this problem. Um, they don't know what causes it, but... Uh, and, and it's been getting worse where he doesn't hit himself as much now, but um, he will, um, you know, reach out and try to hit us or he'll start screeching at the top of his lungs. And um, just a little background, my husband and I, we've been listening to your show. Gosh, I think the first episode might have been around 2008. We've been donating since 2014. Oh, days. Car, car days? Did we go in that far back? Oh, yes. Yes. In the car. Wow. It was great. <laughs> and we talked before. You and I have talked once before, right? Oh, you have had a big impact on my family. Okay. Red-pilled family. My dad uh, started with you, shared your show with me. I shared it with my husband, and he shared it back with me when I had stopped listening for a while. I can't remember why. Uh, my brother listens to you now. Um, my dad died very suddenly in 2013, and you were so kind enough, I'm going to start crying again, to have a private call with me through that ordeal. Nice. And we have right, kind of designed our parenting style around your show. And so we are peaceful parents. We don't hit. Uh, they don't right. go to daycare. We work very hard so my husband uh, could quit his job. Uh, we had to go with the one that made the most amount of money <laughs> to work. So that, right. that happened to be me, but he's stay at home dad and uh, he doesn't play with, you know, any kids that aren't from a peaceful household. And uh, there's only really one other kid he sees um, um, every once in a while. Yeah. And it so thins for, down a bit when you have those standards, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and I seem to remember staff. I just want to see if this is true. You said one time in one of your shows, I, I couldn't find it, but you said that your daughter had never had a temper tantrum <laughs> and she was around two at the time. Is this true? My daughter is uh, eight and she's never had a temper tantrum. Oh. I, on the other hand, as you know from the show, have them fairly regularly, but my daughter has not. So uh, no. <laughs> now, again, this is not this is not all parenting, right? I mean, the kids come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes and the majority, the vast majority of personality traits, this doesn't mean necessarily temper tantrums, but, you know, personality traits, uh, the big five and so on, right? That It's largely genetic, right? So um, uh, just just to be aware, right? And, and kids' IQ varies substantially. I think the average IQ difference between siblings is on the order of eight IQ points, uh, plus and minus. So, um, so <clears throat> I, I mean, I'm fully aware that, you know, good parenting and all of that, but, you know, you're committed to that too. It's luck of the draw sometimes, too, as you know, right? I mean, so it's not like, ooh, well, you see, because I'm such an excellent parent, my daughter's never had a temper tantrum. She just has a, a fairly even-keeled personality. And um, I, I, I dare say, I think we both know which side of the family that comes from. <laughs> so, um, so I would say that uh, that is the case. But don't take that as some sort of praise of my parenting and repudiation of yours because you get the kid you get, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I guess that begs the question: What do we? Uh, what do we you do? Do? Yeah. do you do? And this is probably nothing, but uh, breastfeeding. Yes, um, with my son and working and everything, I I only could breastfeed for about three months. Um, my job changed slightly, so I'm hoping to go at least a year this time around. With, with your daughter, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Okay. So, I mean, that's shorter than ideal, as you know. Did you do pumping? Did your, uh, did your husband uh, uh, bottle feed or anything? Yes. And um, I didn't know this at the time, but my son had a very weak latch and um, I had a very bad pump. So I guess it kind of worked hand in hand. I never had a very good supply. Now I kind of do. So can I tell you too? Uh, let me tell you this. Having been an admirer of boobs since puberty, and, and I believe that for some time before that I was a fan as well, but I'm too young to remember. <laughs> Having been a giant fan of boobs for most of my adult life, let me tell you that it can be a little bit disappointing when you actually see them in action and they don't really work as well as you hope. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> wow, that's a beautiful car. Can we get it to start? <laughs> it's like, man, it looks so great, shouldn't it? Anyway, so I'm sorry about that. The, the breastfeeding stuff can be... Um, Exciting. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, it wasn't so bad for us, but, I mean, we, we have a, a friend who, oh, I mean, she'd sit there for like six hours. It would be completely hysterical at the end of it. She'd be like lactating sweat, <laughs> I think, at the end of it. because <laughs> I know the it's like, it's like, it's four o'clock in the morning. Can, can I get some nutrition into my child, for God's sakes? <laughs> and then when you're pumping, you're so tired and you trip and you fall and you spill the milk. That's what they're talking oh. about. Don't cry over spilled milk. That is what they're talking about. <laughs> if it's your milk and it took you hours, yes. yes. So, yeah, I just wanted to point out, I mean, um, I, I thought that they were just kind of like, you know, like, you know, in the movies where you see that the, the truck drives into the, the fire hydrant and it <laughs> You know, like I thought that's kind of how it worked. And like, stand back. We're going to get across the room. We're going to get a um, a squirt gun going. But no, it's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a challenge. So I sympathize with that. If, if that was, I mean, since you say that was going on, that can be very frustrating and very challenging. And, you know, turn something that you look forward to, you know, the cuddling and the breastfeeding, all of that into, uh, you know, kind of a stressful, uh, stressful exercise. So, yeah. All right. So you got breast milk into him for three months, and then there was a little bit of bottle feeding after. Is that right? From your breast milk? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And how long did that last for? Um, I think I think I made it to a total of five months with breastfeeding. At the end of it, we were kind of substituting some formula in with it, and um, but I was completely dry. I think at about five five and a half months, and then um, we stopped the formula at a year. Right, right, okay. How was his transition to solids? Oh man, this kid has been okay. I I do want to say <laughs> take your time. This is like this is no no rush. Right? <laughs> I know there's a lot of detail that's needed, so go ahead. Gotcha. Ninety percent of the time, at least ninety percent of the time, he is wonderful. Um, didn't have any trouble transferring from the bottle to the sippy cup. Uh, you know the solid foods at first. Okay, not now, but at first, great. You know, he would eat just about anything, and he was really fine with that. And uh, physically, he's he's in the 95th percentile, so he's a very tall child, uh, kind of slender. Um, and physically, he's excelled, but verbally, he was a little behind until just recently. So that's kind of where he's at. Right. <laughs> and um, how are his uh, feeling words? Like can he can he describe his emotions uh, prior to the um, the tantrum? N no, actually. Uh, now that you mention it, um, I think he has used scared once or twice, but more like he was repeating something that we said, made a loud noise, right. and Ellie, a uh, infant, uh, she jumped at something. And I said, "Ooh, that scared Ellie," and he looked at me and said, "That scared Eldon," which is his name, Eldon. 
So right, right. he was saying it scared him too. But yeah, he doesn't really use a lot of feeling words. Um, and relationship to his bedtime, I've tried to get him to use some of these words, but we haven't quite made it there yet. Right. The the feeling words, again, you know, I'm no expert in my sort of opinion and experience, but the feeling words I think are very important to teach to children because feelings rule childhood, right? I mean, you remember this, the storms of passion and and emotion that, that rock the sort of fragile vessel of a child's body are pretty strong. I, I maybe more so for boys at that. I don't know. Right. But, um, so it, it, the earlier that you can teach a child feeling words and the more practice, and it, it could be like, you can get these little diagrams of, of happy face, sad face, angry face, and so on. And, and, you know, you can, if, if they're pre-verbal or, or, or having trouble with the word, they can point, say, okay, do you feel right? And they can point it at how they feel and then learn the words because, you know, I mean, I think the tantrums occur when the needs can't be met and the needs can't be met if they can't be verbalized. Mm-hmm. That So the more he gets the feeling words and learns to identify his own feelings and vocalize them, then the more he can get, perhaps if there's a way to give him what he needs, not sort of the appeasing thing. I know you want candy, here's some candy. I don't mean that, right? Bribe him for not getting angry. But if there's a, an emotional need that he has that he can verbalize, then he's going to be, um, it, it's going to be easier to, to head off the tantrums, I think. Okay. Um, can I ask you about a couple of uh, situations I've kind of been keeping track of them in the last week and kind of let yeah, you know Yeah, yeah, I know. That's perfect. I was going to ask about sort of more details about the, the sequence. Sure. Okay. So um, one thing that is uh, plaguing us right now is uh, food. So um, I think he's on a cleanse diet. He will only eat pancakes and sometimes goldfish. <laughs> so I, now, I'm, now for, for the non-American listeners, that's, that's a kind of cracker. Yeah. I just, I don't want people to be freaking out <laughs> and live fish. Okay. Just, I just, you know, cause there's people who don't know what that means. A worldwide audience. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So yeah, pancakes and goldfish crackers. Um, right. But um, it's not a frat ritual. I just wanted everyone to understand. That. Okay, not a, hey, not well, a hazy thing. Hey, spirit cookie. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> right. Hey, he's acting like an SJW. Why not? Okay. So, right. <laughs> right. so anyway, um, we keep cooking food, you know, that is somewhat healthy, and we try to get him to eat it. And his word is done. Like he does. He he doesn't say no as often. He'll just scream done. And he just looks at the food and yells, done. It was like pork chops, um, macaroni and cheese, and applesauce. Something like that. Uh, Baked potatoes. I forget. Anyway, all of the things that he won't eat. And he says, done. And I said, well, what do you want to eat? And he runs to the fridge and he opens up the fridge and he points and says, I want yellow cheese. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Take one bite of anything on your plate and you can have some yellow cheese. He kind of took up the Muslim prayer ritual thing where he falls to the floor and hits his head on the floor and yells, done, and he refused to eat anything off of his plate. Well, I just made the deal with him that if he eats a yellow cheese or if he eats one bite, he can have the cheese. But now all he wants ah. is the cheese. So if I give in, am I rewarding the behavior by letting him have cheese? And if I don't, am I depriving my son of food? Like, I'm just not quite <laughs> sure right. how to handle this. <laughs> right, right. Okay, moms and food, that's a whole book right there. <laughs> if if my child 
does not get nutrition, he shall die. Right? No, he'll he'll eat when he's hungry. Okay. Like I'm, and it's a balance, right? I understand it's a balance, but he, you know, if he gets hungry enough, he'll he'll eat something. <laughs> he'll eat he'll eat roadkill if he's hungry enough, right? But until and, and hunger then, is not is not fatal for him, right? But until then, I have a screaming toddler yelling, "Eat, eat, cheese, cheese!" Right. Okay. So there is that. Now, my suggestion is, and this, the you know, the level of okay, g- give me a sentence that that he can sort of handle. Where where is he at verbally? What what is he sort of? Give me a sort of complex sentence since he's coughed Get up lately. Get more cake. <laughs> oh, so like three words kind of thing, right? <laughs> that was his first three words, and he's using it a lot because uh, he'll eat cake and. <laughs> So get more cake, uh, uh, Elden eat cheese, sometimes four words. Right. And right. he just okay. about understands everything we say. I mean, he seems as right. comprehensive yeah. as That's brilliant. the challenge because you, you think the language skills are in what they're saying, but it's way more than that. It's what they're hearing, right? Mm-hmm. So he'll grow up to be like that joke of uh, how does Arnold Schwarzenegger – it was at an awards ceremony in Oscars where the film Eat, Drink, Man, Woman was up for – this is how – Arnold Schwarzenegger asks a woman out on a date, eat the drink, a man, woman. Anyway, um, so he's, yeah, he's got limited vocabulary, which of course, you know, he's two and a bit, right? So that makes, that makes sense. But you can't negotiate in the moment. All negotiations must occur before the conflict. Oh. Once the conflict is underway, it's too late because he's already tense. He's already frustrated. You can't negotiate bef- like during the conflict. All negotiations must occur before the conflict because you must get agreement and understanding before the conflict, which you can then refer to to head off the conflict. Okay. So he must know, and you can diagram it, you can explain it, right? You can, he must know his body needs food. His brain needs food. And, you know, the way I explained it was, you know... Th- there's the tongue and there's the belly. Now, the tongue likes stuff the belly doesn't like. And the belly likes stuff the tongue doesn't like. And you can explain why. Like, our tongue loves sweet stuff because if we didn't eat fruit, we'd get sick. And so our bodies wanted to make us really want to hunt and get fruit, which is sweet and gives us special food stuff that we can't get anywhere else that keep us healthy. So our mm-hmm. tongues... Never knew anything about chocolate. <laughs> never knew anything about pancakes. Never knew anything about sh- sugar or, or godforsaken uh, chemical substitutes for, for sugar. Like, our tongues don't know anything about this stuff. All they know is, go eat some fruit. Otherwise, you'll get scurvy, which is when your teeth fall out. Right? So, so you can explain. Your tongue loves stuff, but your belly doesn't. Like, your tongue loves sugar. Your belly does not love sugar. Your mm-hmm. belly, and then you can sort of, you know, what is your belly like? Okay, what is your tongue like the least? Uh, cabbage or whatever. What, what does he like the least? Um, Other than everything that's not goldfish and <laughs> pancakes. <laughs> well, that's that's another thing that he hasn't started using. Like I, I, I say, ooh, looks like Eldon likes that or doesn't like that. Which one do you like? And he'll just stare at me. Like I feel like he knows what I'm saying but he does oh you know, yeah yeah he's he knows you're plotting he knows he knows that you're <laughs> going to get an agreement on what he likes and next thing you know that's what he's going to have to eat oh no don't worry they're 10 steps ahead of us all they all children do is plot 
They're cunning little vixens. That's all they do is they plot and they plot and they plot. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly natural. But be aware of it. It's, it's a constant palace coup going on with seething resentment and desire at all times with no exceptions whatsoever. And they're 10 steps ahead of you. They see down the tunnel of every single question you're asking if it's not perfectly honest and curious, right? It makes sense because he'll have these periods of times where we'll just kind of stare off into space after I got done talking oh, yeah. to him. He's processing and plotting. Oh, I yeah. Know, I knew it. Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. You ever see Monsters Inc.? Always watching, Wazowski. Always watching. <laughs> and that's what they're always <laughs> yeah, saying. They're always with watching. Puff. She started that one. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, so so just be aware of that. No, and and I, I'm very aware of this. You know, you, you you can't say a thing without. I mean, it's like it's like meeting with the Washington Post when you're a when you're a Republican. Like you, you just nothing is gonna you know, nothing is gonna come out uh, straight, right? Mm-hmm. So so anyway, so you you know, you can say, um, would you like to eat squid? Well, no. Well, your tongue doesn't like squid. Maybe your belly does, or cabbage. Your tongue doesn't like it, or Brussels sprouts. Well, my particular, you know, that's like. Satan's Indian food crap is like Brussels sprouts, the nastiest things on the planet. Uh, not only are they repulsive tasting, but they are like old naughty eyeballs. <laughs> but um, so, so you can sort you, you got to get them to understand the difference between the tongue and the belly, right? What the belly likes and what the tongue likes can sometimes be at, at war with each other. And, you know, it's your job as a parent to deliver him to adulthood healthy, right? He needs sleep. He needs exercise. He needs good food. He needs good conversation. So, um, so, you know, you, you know, you can say you're two, so your job, you only think about your tongue, but I'm older, so I have to think about your belly and your future, right? You, you, you can't just eat, sorry, like I wish you could, right? And, and I have found, you know, like I have a sweet tooth, which I have to rigidly control because 50, anyway. <laughs> and so, you know, when we go, if we're at a buffet or something and there's a dessert buffet, I'm like, oh man, I could, I could like eat that whole row, and I, I could, like, I literally, could. I could eat that whole row. I, do, I don't even know what it is. I could probably eat the foil packets that came in and be happy. <laughs> and I find that if I express my desire for the stuff that my daughter wants, and it's honest, then when I say no, it's easy for her to say no, rather than she wants it and I'm telling her no. If that makes sense. Like if I, we, I express that I want it and I say no, it's easy for her to say no. So you know, we all have that war between the tongue and the belly, right? Mm-hmm. And so is this tongue food or is this belly food, right? You, you can sort of set up these categories so he can start to understand why. You know, and, and the other thing too is that if he's not getting, as you know, if he's not getting healthy food, that's going to affect his mood, right? I don't know if you've ever had a, a day. Occasionally, it doesn't happen to me much anymore, but I I'd have these days, I would just like it. You know, like goats, they just eat anything. You can just put, a, just dump a pile of slop and garbage. Goats will eat the cans and crap. Like I've just had those days where I just like, I don't know what happened, but I just I ended up eating a handful of this and a couple of bites of that. And Try it's like breastfeeding. Oh yeah, because you got to sit there, right? <laughs> you just and you, you, you're basically you're planted, right? You don't want to disturb the whole magical ritual that's going on. You know, <laughs> it's voodoo. Don't touch me, <laughs> right? So yeah, no, of course, right? And and so. And those days, it's just like, ugh, I feel like, ugh, <laughs> right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, you just don't feel right. And, you, you know, you don't feel energetic and, and you feel kind of sour and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so get him, if he understands the difference between, like, the tongue and the belly, and I think, too, he can at least start to, you can make a game out of it. Is this tongue food and, and be- or belly food, right? 
and you can reward him, right? I mean, you know, I have no problem with rewards at that age. I mean, it's not like you're training a dolphin or anything. You're just trying to get cause and effect going. But, um, but the key thing is have the negotiation when there's no conflict. Because what happens is when you're getting along, you don't want to start negotiating for something because you're afraid of provoking a conflict. So then you wait until you're actually in the conflict to start negotiating. And what that means is that the child associates negotiation with conflict. Okay. But when you're happiest and most peaceful, then you say, okay, bud, <laughs> we got to work out this food thing. Are you having fun at dinner? No. <laughs> Am I having fun at dinner? No. Would we like to have fun at dinner? Guess so, right? <laughs> you know, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, this sort of like, they're always like political prisoners being cross-examined by someone with a Gestapo truncheon and a swinging electrical lighter in a dark <laughs> cellar somewhere. But, you know, it's like, how was your day? <laughs> but... um <laughs> So have, have the conversations when you're not in the moment, in, in the conflict, because that's, that's too stressful. And, and the, the decision point is too imminent. You want to get agreement from kids on a principle when it's not right there in front. In other words, you can't negotiate about cheesecake when the child is staring at a cheesecake two inches from their mouth, right? It's got to be in between. It's got to be when there's no stressor in the moment. If that makes sense. It does. In fact, I remember this from a previous video and somehow it didn't click. I'm trying to negotiate after the fact. and Or during yes. even, right? Yes, yeah, during. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I have another situation that is a little different. Um, sure. Okay, so today uh, uh, my mom was, by the way, there's three people here. I got my husband next to me and my mom to my left. Hello, so we're everybody. What was that? <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. Throw them some Brussels sprouts. No, I'm just hello. kidding. Just out of curiosity, do you have any? Uh, I'm sorry, do I have one? Oh, apparently, my mom says you would like Brussels sprouts if she made them for you. So you're going to have to come over one day, and my mom will make you some Brussels sprouts. They'll be really good. Are they deep fried with calamari? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, you know what? If I am in your neck of the woods, I am open-minded enough, and I will pry open my childhood frozen jaw rejection of Brussels sprouts and give your mom a try, and I appreciate the offer. All right. Sounds great. Okay. Yeah. So um, she um, she decided to take my my son over because we're at her house right now uh, first. And um, while she's cooking dinner, she looks over and sees um, my son's got the dog around the neck and is hitting the dog on top of the head with his other arm. Now, I have no idea why he is hitting the dog. Um, he also hasn't been hurting the dog, but because he's not capable, strong enough yet. And and he does tend to try to kick the cats at home. Um, I don't know if you have any pets, but we, we try to explain to him that it hurts the dog. It's it's ow, you know, be nice to the dog, pet the dog. And he'll nod and say, just pet. And we'll start petting the dog. And as soon as you turn around to walk away, he's trying to poke her in the eye or hit her again. I, I don't know how to stop this. Right. I tried to look it up online, by the way, and all I find is articles about serial killers. Not so. Yeah, no, that's, you know, cruelty to pets, bedwetting and setting fire. You know, you don't want to look up any of that stuff because it's <laughs> just going to scare the hell out of you. No, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, how's his, uh, how's your son's relationship with his dad? Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I will say, though, that um, another, another question on here is they both have issue with temper it can almost be cute if it wasn't so explosive sometimes but um but eldon's very strong <laughs> okay wait wait now hang on hang on a second here my friend are you perhaps saving some of the more important parts of the conversation for later 
I'm not. I'm not sure. Possibly, but um, we. So his been, father has a temper. Yes, and it's something that we're aware of, and we've been working on for a long time. And he does a very good job most of the time. A couple of times, it does come out um, in sarcasm, like he'll say, "Oh, well, of course you want that," or something like that. Um, sometimes he walks away from the situation if it gets, you know, if if Eldon's getting a little explosive, he'll walk away. Um, we did have. We did have one incident, I think it was a week ago, where Eldon uh, reached out to hit hit Daddy, and Daddy grabbed a hold of both arms and says, you will not hit, and he used his big, we call it the fear of God voice, which we never try to use it with Eldon at all, but, you know, call comes out mostly on Call of Duty, um, but it came out this time, and that's when I feel like we really had the issue, and we, we needed to call you to, to, to try to find some ways of solving these issues. Because once yeah, it gets to a certain point— you know, point, your son's just going to get bigger and bigger, right? Right. But, I mean, like I said, we, we haven't done any kind of hitting or anything like that. It mostly comes out in negative language, and we're trying to Has, work um, on the words um, we what use. What about conflicts that you have—sorry to interrupt. What, what about conflicts that you have with your husband? Well, there you go. Well— I, if I get frustrated with Eldon, I take it out on my husband. My husband gets frustrated with Eldon. He'll, he can take it out on Eldon as well. Like I said, in the negative language, but it's mostly when I witness something, I'll jump all over him and say something like, no, watch your language or don't say it like that. Or, you know, be, be kinder, po- more positive. So be it, kinder. It, Isn't yeah. that exactly what you're saying to Eldon and the dog, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Are you hitting my domino here? Okay, come on. What am I doing? Well, um, correcting the other parent in front of the child who's very young is a challenge. Children are very sensitive to pecking. Well, we all are, right? This is the Tom Wolf thing, right? Children are very sensitive to status, hierarchy, humiliation, pecking order, and so on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. If you correct... The father harshly in front of the son. The son is very aware of that, right? That you disapprove of daddy. That you could be harsh in your disapproval of daddy and you're right to do so. Oh. There's an old saying, this I knew this from when I was a manager many years ago, right? Which is praise in public, criticize in private. Okay. Um, you you need to be unified as parents. It's very confusing for children if there are contradictory standards in their in the expectations they experience. Makes a lot of sense. I'm turning to him and telling him to watch his language and what he says. And here I'm saying that right in front of right in front of Eldon. Yeah. And uh, what's it like for your husband when you correct him in front of? His son. It's not pleasant, but should I pass him the microphone? Sure, if he's there, yeah. Be, be oh, yeah, he's to. right here. There you go. All right. I guess I'm up for the firing squad here. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I know, I know. I know um, it's going to be tough, so. No, no, listen. I mean, first of all, like, kudos on the stuff you guys are doing that's great. You know, like, yay. I mean, we all need feedback. I get it. I mean, I, I consult with people. I ask people. I mean, we, we all need feedback, right? Mm-hmm. In, in Especially if we're doing something new. I'm, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here, my friend, and I'm going to assume that you're raising your son a little bit differently than how you were raised. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I, I called in once before, too, and was talking about um, having uh, difficulty relating to my, my dad and siblings and stuff and how my dad had taken on this other family and kind of felt like I was left in the lurch or something. It's been right. a few years since right, that right. call. But. Um, the temper thing. How it means your wife was she describing it fairly accurately? Um, in all fairness, I think she was gentle. Um, I, I, I got that sense. I wanted a to problem know. With, I do have a problem with yelling. Um, I know that can be just as bad as, as physical harm. Um, I find it extremely challenging to try to curtail, to try to keep it under wraps. Your 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 raising of your voice, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And what uh, what's the circumstance that we all have one? Like I have one too, right? We all have the button, right? What is the thing that you know is like the the hardest for you to sort of manage in your reaction? Like what what your son does? Um. Well, um. I guess a lot of it can be tied to. Hmm. Yeah, the, the if he hits me or if he's yelling or whatever, um, you know the 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 hitting can hurt. Uh, there's been a few times he's jumped and knocked his head into my chin, and that doesn't Ooh. feel particularly good. Um, and, and their the, fists I, seem to be perpetually at groin level, pretty much, right? Yeah, 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 that too. And and that can that can spark a pretty immediate negative response from me. Right. Um, um, he'll, he'll flail when I pick him up and it, it's difficult to hold on to him and, and I'm deathly afraid of dropping him and, you know, causing Well, and, and something hitting you in the, could the eye or the nose or right. Well, when he's, when he's flailing like that, I'm more worried about his head hitting the floor. Right. But, but yeah, it can. And, um, do you, do you remember, uh, earlier times where or, or what the earliest time was when you felt that frustration with him i mean did it happen when he was a baby or was it when he started to crawl or, or walk or more recently oh the the consensus seems to be about two months ago i i, I uh a lot of times i defer to them as far as my behavior because I kind of have trouble being objective with myself and everything. So, so what you started yelling only two months ago? I I think I think that's all the longer it's been. That's how long it's been really bad. But he has lost his temper temper off and on. We're talking maybe once a week, uh, starting with I think around the time Eldon started. Uh, you know the grabby stage they get to about one year old or one and a half where they just grab everything no matter where you're at, especially oh, yeah, coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where I think it started. But like I said, about once a week he might lose his temper. Temper. Now it's like you know once or twice a day. Right. Right. Okay. It's not peaceful parenting if you're yelling. I know. No, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Like I just because you're. Your wife was very, uh, no, was very, it was very, it was very like, well, we, we do the peaceful parenting thing. No, not with the yelling, right? The yelling is not part of the peaceful parenting thing, yeah, as and, you know. Right? And I do, I do get, get you in my ear 
from time to time. Like, <laughs> Nagging away, happens. right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah no, and I appreciate that, but it's that. it's not enough, right? I mean, it's not enough to to change the behavior. Let me let me ask you this question. It's a tough question, so you know, take your time. But is there? You know, my mom was a screamer. So when my daughter was younger and she was screaming, it reminded me of, and it's completely unfair, obviously, right? But but that doesn't matter to your reptile brain, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, similar situation. Oh no, somebody's screaming at, in, in my face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that your son does that has any kind of echo of something unpleasant in, in your childhood? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, what my wife was saying about two months ago, it's starting getting worse. Um, there was, I mean, um, my siblings and I were, were hard on each other. And I know that uh, my, I, I feel like yelling is kind of a foundational part of my relationship with my parents. I mean, I felt, I felt like yelling was always present. So... So yeah, well, uh, you say part of your relationship, like it was sort of equals, right? Yeah. So, but, but I would assume that they introduced the yelling. Yeah. And and what would your parents yell at you about? Oh, and, and yeah, the the negative negative stuff. I mean, anytime I did anything wrong, um. A lot of times it was a yell. There really wasn't much in the way of discussion or figuring out solutions or anything like that. Um, you know, like uh, if the grades had slipped, it's, well, you need to do better with that pretty much being the end of it. You know, no really <laughs> real suggestions. Or, yeah. So. Right. And how often would your parents yell at you when you were growing up? Oh, <laughs> God. Um, it was all the time. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I can put a number on it, but I mean, there's just like always... a continual thing, right? Like the, yeah. the default position, right? So you've yeah. made huge improvements if you're down to like once a week for a while, you know, once or twice a day from continual, right? That's it's not enough, but it's definitely an improvement, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, of course, I try not to rest on that either. Well, hey, I'm doing sure. better than my parents, you know. What happens if you don't yell, like? We, we yell because we think the alternative is worse. I mean, most times what people do is because they think the alternative is worse, right? I mean, I've, I've had millions of comments on the videos, particularly those about spanking. It's like, ah, oh, well, the problem kids these days are snowflakes because they weren't spanked. This is what happens if you don't spank. So a lot of times we do something because we think, okay, this is not great, but the alternative is much worse. Mm-hmm. You know, like the guy fell down the chasm and trapped his arm in the rock. He had to cut off his own arm. Okay, but the alternative was worse, which was dying, right? Right. So what happens if you don't yell? You mean the times that I've tried not to yell or? No, like what happens if you don't yell at all? Like if it's just not part of your behavior? I think, do things get better or worse? I mean, I'm not talking about like the, the, the rational, but the irrational or, or the historical part of your mind. What happens if you don't yell? I I really don't know. I mean, it gets to just like this emotional knee jerk reaction. I I I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a reaction. I well, I, I really don't you, know. 
Okay, so let's go back to the moment where you grabbed your son by the arms. Mm-hmm. Because he hit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying so to get what him to happens? stop. He was repeating. No, no, I understand that. No, I, I understand that. And, and of course, if he's hitting, he's, he can't keep hitting, right? So, I mean, I understand that. But what happens if you don't do that? Does he just keep hitting? Does he get escalate? Does he injure someone? Like, what happens if you don't become aggressive with your son? What's the, what's the disaster scenario? What's the worst case scenario? Um, he just keeps doing it. I mean, I, so you, you may be trying to contain his aggression through your behavior, right? Yeah. Which if I'm being aggressive, I don't see how that's going to happen. Well, you contain it in the moment perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. Because aggression will trigger for a lot of kids. It will trigger fairly quick compliance. I mean, it's seething, resentful compliance. Oh yes. But it's compliance. And then what happens? Um, it's not long before there's another situation that comes up and things yeah, yeah, escalate. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they revert back, right? Right. So you'll get temper. And they've seen this with, with spanking studies, right? I know you're not spanking, but I mean, they've seen this with spanking studies. It does gain immediate compliance, but kids go right back to the behavior again, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, kids have no power. They have no power. Kids can't get their own food, they can't cook, they can't drink coffee, can't drink beer, they can't drive a car, they can't choose their own movies, they can't operate technology, they, they can't even turn on a light, you know, he's two, right? So, no power, no Boy, power at all. He, he's actually pretty proficient at light switches. And, oh, is he? Okay. And, okay. And oh, you, but not the, I'm thinking of the lamps where you turn them, like on the base. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah, the light switches on the wall, yeah, he can do that, he can do that. But, I mean, they're, they're, very, they're really helpless, and so, and they're completely dependent. And I don't know how you'd feel if you, like, if you got, like, if you were, I don't know, paralyzed or something for a while, and other people had to feed you and wipe your ass, and, and you know, you had to have a catheter. I mean, it would be really humiliating, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've told my wife before, if I, get, if I get to that point, just take me out back and shoot me. Right. <laughs> Great pillow talk, but um, <laughs> well, uh, not in bed. But no. I, I know what you mean. But but it would, but that's childhood. Yeah, that's childhood. And I remember being taunted as a kid. I was like ten months of age, and I, I couldn't even like I couldn't even walk yet. Like I couldn't even. My head was so giant. I had this giant Winston Churchill head probably still do, but I could I couldn't even get up and move away from the kid who was taunting me. Mm -hmm. You're really helpless. It is, it is like being injured or, or paralyzed or incapacitated, it being relying on. And, and so kids are very sensitive to humiliation because, in a sense, particularly when you're young, being a kid is kind of humiliating. Because I think maybe, maybe a little more true for boys and girls. I don't know. But you want to be able to do your own thing. You want to be independent. But your body doesn't do what you want it to. And you, you, know, you watch kids trying to learn to tie a shoelace, right? I mean, they're like, I don't know if kids do that with Velcro anymore, but, you know, they really want to. It's really frustrating. Yeah. My daughter wants to draw exactly what's in her head. She can't yet. It's really frustrating sometimes. This incubate, like when we're adults, we're just so used to it, you know? Oh, I think I, I would like a cup of coffee, so I'm going to go, right? You just go and get a cup of coffee. It's like, it's not, but if you couldn't do that, if you relied, have to rely on everyone else to do everything, 
for you. I mean, and, and you couldn't even choose your own meals. And people kept feeding you, I don't know, like, <laughs> I, I'm pretty open to all kinds of food with one exception. That dim sum thing, I can't get into it. I just, I feel like I'm opening the container and there's going to be like a big vat of monkey brains there or something. Like I just, that's the only food that I've just not been, well, maybe Korean soups a little bit, but they're okay. But dim sum, I can't do it. I can't, and I had a guy I worked with just crazy for dim sum and would drag me out sometimes. I'm like, okay, maybe I just ordered the wrong things. So let's try it again. Nope. Still horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, imagine like, and then every, every, you're starving and what comes to you is like the, the food you like the least. I mean, it's really it's a frustrating situation. Yeah. And so whatever you can do to facilitate uh, and empower your children is going to reduce their frustration levels. Now, of course, everyone thinks that means appeasing them and or whatever you want. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Jordan Peterson makes this point in um, uh, Maps of Meaning and in other lectures that you don't, you don't do for people what they can do for themselves. Anything they can do for themselves, they should do for themselves. Anything you can encourage them to do for themselves. The more control he has over his environment, the more effect he has over his environment, then the less frustrated he's going to be. As you said, like I wouldn't want to live if I was incapacitated. Just take me out back and shoot me, right? Yeah. But being a child is being functionally incapacitated in an adult environment where you're dependent on these big, loud, smelly people to get everything you need, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's annoying. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like your son is, I don't know, does he, does he seem like he, does he have an independent streak? Does he have a, I'll, I'll, I'll do it my way kind of thing? To, um... Yeah, I wanted to interject here. He, um... We do try to empower him as much as possible. And I think where some of the frustration on my husband's part comes into play and mine too sometimes is that he want like he wants us to do it with him. He wants us to carry him. He wants us to open the thing and he wants us to make the play doh shape and you know, he actually wants us to do just about everything. And after a while you get tired and you tell him to go play by himself and he'll he'll get frustrated and upset and so there, there, he, there's still like a, a, a big want of interaction. And another reason why I want to inter interject is I think when my husband loses his, uh, when, when he gets frustrated, it's, it's not like he's trying to contain Eldon's aggression. It's more like he's getting upset and it's, it's a, it's a reaction rather than trying to correct Eldon. It's more like he's reacting to him. Uh, oftentimes right. when Eldon keeps coming to him for more interaction after, you know, two hours of playing with Play-Doh and making little train cars out of Play-Doh, it just, you know, gets a little much. Does that make sense? Well, does it, does it get a little much though? I mean, isn't that the job? Yeah, but I, I think it's kind of the, just some of the repetition involved in everything. I mean, I, I get that's how they learn and everything, but after a certain point, the repetition is kind of mind numbing on my end. And I'm asking him, can't You're we bored. please do something else? Right. Right. And I mean, that's perfectly reasonable, right? That, that you, you don't want to be like the slave to your child's play whims, right? It's not, right. not healthy, right? Don't negotiate, right? But, um, 
I mean, this this just my perspective. I don't know what the data is or the facts on it. I'll just tell you my perspective that, you know, as a stay-at-home dad, like, that's my job. I mean, he's two. Can can he play by himself much? I, I don't know. So, sometimes he does. Sometimes he'll he'll play by himself fine, but a lot of times he wants me right there. Like, we can go to the uh, play place at our McDonald's and... Uh, you know, I, I can see him. I'm, you know, not too far away, but he wants me right up there next to the play place while he's up climbing around and everything. Yes, that's the job. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's two. That's the job. I, I'll tell you that very confidently. That's the job. You've got to get right in there in the play center with him. And for, 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 for a long time, <laughs> for a long time, I mean, there's a reason I haven't written a book in eight years. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'm that limber. <laughs> well, you got to stretch it out, baby, because that's the job, right? If I if I can do it at fifty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, you're younger than me, right? So, uh, that's that's the job, right? I mean, you you can fight it if you want, but it just means that it's going to be a less fun job. Like you got to just throw yourself into it, right? Yeah, and I really. I really don't want to fight it. Like I said, it's it's mostly when it gets to the repetition. I'm just like, oh my god, please let it stop. But um, for the most but part, but that comes. Sorry, but that that must come from some earlier place as well, right? Did your parents bore you? Um, were you bored as a child? Well, I mean, I don't. I don't really. I don't think I was. I. Is there a conversation that you can have with your son while you're doing these things that makes that part less boring? I'm sure. Is there any, you know, and and the conversation doesn't have to be always two way, right? It can be sort of a monologue. It can be, you know, when I was a kid, I did this and, you know, what's your favorite color and what would you like to make? And, you know, did you have any dreams last night? Well, I don't know. Like, again, I don't know what, what your son can, can chat about or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. um, is there is there a conversation that you can have? Because I mean, I get this. I mean, kids. There's a reason we don't play with Play-Doh when we're adults because it's really boring. Right? <laughs> so I, I get all of that. I mean, it is boring. But the point is not to play with Play-Doh. The point the point is to interact with your son, not yeah. both of you facing the Play-Doh, but yeah. having a conversation. Yeah, it it's just. I guess it's kind of a challenge on my end because um, if I don't really have anything to say or if i'm focused on the task in front of me like molding the newest thing he wants me to come up with you know i I don't really talk you know i kind of keep to myself and i guess i need to kind of break that habit do you have i mean let's just be really honest with each other do you have conversations with your son much during the day um yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm not sure about you know what to compare it to or anything. But I mean, I don't, I don't spend my day ignoring him. But I'm not constantly. No, but you said when you play with him, you're quiet. And I'm not trying to catch you out or something. I could just trying to right. sort of understand the environment, right? So you you said that when you play with him, you get. Um. Yeah, I can get quiet. Yeah. Um, Being quiet, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm just, you know, sometimes it can be just an admiration of of what he's able to do, of his creativity and so forth. 
Um, and sometimes he yeah, comes yeah. up no, with you're, a little... No, hang on. No, we're, we're drifting. We're drifting from this. Okay. So, okay. okay, so of the... Uh, uh, of the 10 hours a day you spend with your son while your wife is commuting or and working, is that like fair to say 10, 11 hours? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. How much time, out of that time, do you spend in conversation? And here's where we just, we just need to be very frank, right? Um, I'm not sure. Um, well, then, then measure it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like tomorrow, um, well, I guess not tomorrow because your wife's home, but just measure it. Well, I guess you can measure it when your wife's home. How much are you spending in conversation? Because if you're sort of playing side by side and getting bored, do you know what your son experiences? Probably boredom as well. No. He experiences, mm-hmm. my dad finds me boring. Oh. oh. My dad would rather be doing something else. My dad is bored. I'm not interesting to him. My dad would rather be on the computer. My dad would rather be playing Call of Duty. My dad would rather be mm-hmm. doing anything. And, and of course, if all you're doing is playing Play-Doh, sure. I mean, if you were your age and playing Play-Doh for fun, that would be a sign of a problem. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so, of course, but it's not about the Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to enjoy, 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 enjoy your time with your son. Because the bond is in the enjoyment. The bond isn't in proximity. The bond isn't in just, well, we're in the same house, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Otherwise, prison cell inmates would fall in love, right? I mean, it's not proximity. The bond, is in, the bond arises from knowing that the other person really enjoys and values your company. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if your son feels that he is a great treasure to you, that you look forward to your time with him, that, you know, this, that, and the other, right? Then that is, um, that is where the richness and that's where the peace comes from. That's where the trust and the negotiation has to come from. Because if he perceives himself as boring, as, as not interesting, as not stimulating, as not enjoyable company, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to get attention other ways. Do you know what that means? Look out, Mr. Dog. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Now that I have your attention, right? Children will, will, will get their parents' attention one way or another because children who don't get their parents' attention tend to get left behind, right? I mean, it's home alone territory, right? Right. which was pretty bad in the jungle or the forests or the ice flows or whatever the hell we evolved, right? Mm-hmm. Children will, will get their parents' attention one damn way or another. It's either through positive actions or it's through negative actions. And if the child does not feel that he can get your attention through a positive action, then he'll make sure he keeps your attention in a negative way. This can be through hitting. Uh, this can be through tantrums. This can be through refusing food right? Your focus is really on him during these times of, quote, misbehavior, right? Yeah. He's got your attention, right? Yep. How much do you enjoy parenting? 
Last couple months, not a lot. Before that? Um, before then, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it was it, it was cool, you know, seeing the new things develop and, you know, it, it's, it, it was cool, you know, having, having him want to always, you know, be around me, always, um, wanting to kind of shadow me and stuff like that. Um, sure. when my wife was working, we would go to where she works a lot and pick her up for lunch and stuff. I mean, we're a big hit at the store, so. Sure. Now, but that's all big picture stuff, right? You know, development over time and so on. I'm talking about more so the individual days. Mm -hmm. The moments of the day, the hours, right? And listen, again, I mean, I understand it's boring. Like, I mean, to be honest, there have been, I mean, there have been times when I've been like, okay, it's, it's two o'clock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how many are hours? And right. I mean, the, 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 it happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Six hours till bed. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, this, it, I mean, also, you know, when you're tired or if you haven't slept that well or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But the individual moments of the day, not just sort of big picture, now he can walk kind of thing, but. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it. it it, it just seems like so much of it is, you know, based on how things are going. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, it's great when things are going well. And then, you know, this really sucks whenever we're in one of our fights um, to kind of get an overall, you know, each day. I, yeah, I, I do think I like what I'm doing. I, I like being the stay at home parent and, being able to to try to raise them properly and everything it's, it's just i know i'm not i i know there are very important things that i'm not getting right and and because i'll tell you this man you sound depressed about the whole thing i'm just telling you how you sound i'm not saying what you are my mm -hmm. impression you sound drained you sound like well to to a degree i you're do dragging feel, yourself to a degree i do feel like i'm fighting um, I feel like I'm fighting myself. I feel like I'm fighting my past and then to, to have in the moment, um, you know, fights with him as well. It, it, mm. it to a degree, it is exhausting. Yeah. Plus I've got, and it turns into a bit of a vicious circle, right? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but it, it turns into a bit of a vicious circle, right? Because if your son is reacting to a lack of your enjoyment of his company if he reacts negatively and then starts acting out negatively to get your attention mm -hmm. well the initial problem is you're not enjoying his company that much and then the way he deals with that is to have you enjoy his company even less right yeah yeah which then means that he's right this is may maybe one of the patterns that has caused this kind of escalation if that makes sense oh yeah yeah definitely yeah but video game consumption what are we talking I haven't touched it since the new, since the second one was born. Facebook. Okay, so before that, 
Facebook. Oh, my wife keeps saying Facebook, Facebook. Uh, I, I Technically, am, that's not a video game. No, yeah, yeah, like I that. know, I know, I know. I, I am a little bit of a Facebook junkie, shit posting and things. Um, I, you uh, have a lot of tablet-handed parenting or phone-handed parenting? Yeah. All right. What else do you think your son is thinking? <laughs> that the phone's more interesting than he is. Uh, well, it is, right? I mean, I'm an empiricist, right? And, yeah. and children are empiricists, right? You can say whatever you want. All they care about is what you do, right? That's true. So if the phone is fascinating and he's not, mm-hmm. he's going to get your attention one way or another. Yeah. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I do, and there's a lot of time. Sorry, to interrupt. Uh, how much time do you spend on the? Um, uh, would you say uh, on electronics uh, during the day? Mm, I don't know. Would. Sorry, I just wanted to take the microphone for a second. Do you mean like? Electronics that he's doing, you know, by himself, or electronics that we do with with Eldon as well, like all around electronics. I mean, we're talking about like stuff where he's, you know, ideally should be parenting, but has you know phone in phone in hand. Okay, so just that's him. Okay. Um, I, I I always you know I always have my phone with me, but I'm actively looking at it and on it. Um. I would say um, about probably about uh, three hours in total during the day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about three hours in total. You know, spanned out across the day. Now, if you had a job, mm-hmm. right, and you had a job for ten hours a day, like uh, let's say you were an accountant or something, mm-hmm. do you think that you would be allowed to? play on your phone for eight hours, for, for three hours during the day? No. Right. Why do you think I'm mentioning that? Yeah. Because that's my job. My, my boy is my job. Your boy is your job. And look, it's not like you can't ever look at your phone or anything, although it may be wise for you to take a, a bit more of a structured break from it if it's become that kind of habit. Yeah. Because if you're in a if you're in a sort of mental mindset, especially if you if you say you're shit posting on Facebook and stuff like that, you're in you're in the completely the wrong mindset for yeah. parenting, right? Yeah. Especially a toddler, it's a totally different mindset. Yeah. This this past year has just been so interesting, internet wise. Yes, but I'm trying to have your next couple of years not be so interesting. Yeah. At least yeah. as far as your parenting and childhood child child raising goes. One more thing to blame on Donald Trump. I'm sorry, say again? She said one more thing to blame on Donald Trump. <laughs> Which, of course, it's not. Of course, it's not his fault. It's, it's all on me. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of... And listen, you're not alone in this, just so you know. You know, when I take my... I don't as much anymore. She's kind of aggroning. But when I took my daughter to play centers and stuff, and I'm not trying to, oh, you know, best parent ever. But, I mean, the, the basic fact is that when I would go... Two play centers, almost without exception, like literally four times over six years or seven years, 
all the moms would be on their phones and the kids would just be sitting there. Because they got these couches that ring around the outside of these play centers. And the moms, now, again, occasionally there'd be moms in there mixing it up. And occasionally, I think once I saw a dad in there mixing it up too. But, yeah, it was like, here you go. Mommy's going to sit on her phone and you go and find some way to amuse yourself. Yeah, I see it all the time too. You see it too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I will say in the public settings, I'm not on the phone hardly at all. It's mostly at home. Not that that makes it any better or anything. Well, it's a little better, but I think that um, electronics have done a a lot to disrupt parent-child relations. A lot. When your uh, son gets hold of a tablet, maybe he is already, and then he's going to be, he's going to model that behavior, right? Mm. Yeah. I just remember went out for dinner with my family for Valentine's Day. And next to us, a family. A family with, uh, it was mostly older people, but there was a boy there who was about uh, four or five. And what do they do? They sit him down, they prop up the tablet, and he watches a movie. He might as well be on Mars. Now, again, you know, it's not like, oh, that can't ever happen. I mean, yeah, okay. But I just, I seem to see it everywhere I go. And you got to, you got to disconnect from the electronics. You got to reconnect with your son. Right, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're going to the, your, your wife and your son are home. And your daughter, obviously, right? Yeah. And let's say you've got to go to the grocery store. Do you want your son to come? Mm, not really. I, I like being able to just zip through the store and get back home. Right. I invite you to correct that mindset. I strongly urge you to correct that mindset. Because that's what, when I was a kid, there was a saying, penny wise, pound foolish. It means there's no point watching your pennies if you blow the big money. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't want your son to come with you, then he is going to be exquisitely aware of the fact that you don't want him to come with you. Making him feel what? Making him feel horrible, worthless, the undervalued, same sorts Unlike, of things I felt with yeah, my parents. Same sort of things you felt with your parents. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that, because there is something going on here from your history. Oh, I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah. I, I I just feel haunted a lot. Um, but um, it's just a lot, a lot of fighting. Um, the, the best time, I think the best times my siblings and I had was uh, once a week when my parents would go on their date night. You know, having them out of the house, we felt like we could just be ourselves again kind of thing. Um, uh, Me being the oldest, everything was my responsibility. You know, I'm supposed to be setting an example for my younger siblings. I'm supposed to keep track of what they're doing and, and everything else. 
and I recognized that I was being held to standards that my parents were not willing to fulfill themselves. And it uh, it did make for you know, I, I was and to a degree still am very resentful towards them. I mean, uh, especially the more I learn listening to the show and uh, some of the stuff on parenting you've already put out, um, just how much of my childhood I was expected to dismiss or get past quickly. And, uh, you know, especially with the fights with my son, a lot of that stuff comes back, not necessarily specific situations, but the feelings that were there. Uh, What do you mean? Um, it's, it's all my fault. You know, whatever's going on, it's my fault. And uh, I suppose it's more true now being the dad and, you know, supposed to be taking lead and taking responsibility and everything, but, um, it's still rings echoes of, of the past, you know, when it wasn't so much my responsibility back then, it wasn't, you know, everything wasn't my fault back then but uh, the feelings are still there the guilt um i tend to be very hard on myself i mean the just the stuff we're talking about now i mean i i well everyone thinks they're joking when they talk to me what was the first thing you said to me yeah um, my turn for the firing squad and what did you say your wife should do with you if you become disabled right just take me out back shoot me Right. Being shot was uh, mentioned twice, which is unusual for the average, right? Yeah. But you're not that hard on yourself. You know, I mean, people say that, but you give yourself permission to spend hours on the phone when you're supposed to be parenting, right? Yeah. It's because for you, and I can tell you why. Sorry to interrupt. I can tell you why, because I want you to absorb this like a sponge. I can tell you why. Because because for you, an absent parent was the only chance you had to have an identity, to have fun. For you, parental absence was permission to be yourself, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, so for you being absent to your son was a benefit for you, but it's not a benefit for him. Like parental absence was a benefit for you, but paying it forward to your son in the way that you're doing is not a benefit to him. Yeah. And now your daughter was born a month ago or so. Mm-hmm. What has she heard a lot of in her first month of life? Yelling. Right. Just me and my son. Yelling, tantrums, escalation, screaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's her introduction to the planet like? Loud. 
terrifying. Yeah. Right. She has no idea what the world is like with a father who doesn't yell and a brother who doesn't have crazy tantrums, right? Mm-hmm. It's not peaceful parenting. No. That's good news. How's that? This is all good news. This is all good news. You know why, right? So I can fix it? Yeah. Because if you're doing everything right and this was the outcome, I wouldn't even know what to say. Well, there goes that theory. (laughs) 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 You know, the important thing is my theory. Remember that. (laughs) <laughs> right, but no, this is, this is great news because there's so much that can be changed here and should be changed to turn this around. If there was nothing that could be changed, no. mm-hmm. then you're really in trouble, right? Yeah. So what needs to change? What needs to happen? Now, what do you need to commit to? Well, first of all, unplugging, um, being actually there for him instead of just in proximity. Yeah, don't be just around. Mm -hmm. Don't be just sitting by him. That's torture for a child. Engage, engage, engage. Conversation. Get to know him. Get to understand his thinking. What else? Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like if I, if it just seems like if, if I'm more engaged with him, I mean, that would take care of a lot of what's going on potentially. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how much is, well, it's not going to hurt. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I know that I know. I just don't know how much of, of what's been going on is kind of set or if he's still no no the personality is still in flux some aspects of personality still in flux as far as I understand it till he's five mm-hmm. so you know you're not even halfway there what else um, I know I gotta do something about my temper I'm just and that something is actually very simple. Okay. You give yourself permission to yell. You have in your mindset. I'm not this is not magic, right? But you you have in your repertoire of allowable behaviors yelling, intimidating. I mean, you're 10 times this kid's size, right? Yeah. How would you feel it if somebody who was like 60 feet tall came and screamed at you? Well, I used to be in that position. That's we all. Well, a lot of us were. A lot of us were. But it's a hell of a lot of not fun. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming. It short circuits, right? Yeah. Right. The, the the tantrum is saying I'm short. I've short circuited. There's too much stimulation. Yeah. The dad in my head has exploded. You understand? Mm-hmm. Your yelling has implanted in him a yelling alter ego. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to not feed that yelling dad in his head anymore. 
which means no yelling. I don't care if you've got to stuff socks in your mouth. I don't care if you've got to do a jig. You cannot yell. And I think an apology might be in order. And I promise to not do it again. Yeah. I do spend a lot of time apologizing to him. After, Which is after worse. things calm down and everything. Yeah, I know. Because I'm repeating. It's worse. Behavior. If you don't change. Yeah. If you, if you apologize and don't change your behavior, then he doesn't trust you for the behavior. And he also doesn't trust you for the apology either. Right. I try not to apologize unless I'm really committed to changing. Because a, a, an apology is a promise for change. Otherwise, it's nothing. It's a manipulation. Mm-hmm. It's about you feeling bad rather than wanting to do good, right? Yeah. So, it's the million-dollar question. Like, if somebody paid you a million dollars to not yell for a day, would you be able to achieve it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Come on. I know. I know. I know. A million dollars. I will cut you a check for a million dollars if you spend one day not yelling. Uh, Can you do it? I had. I feel like I, I feel like I wouldn't be honest to, with myself if I said that I could. I mean, it's. I. I it's physically impossible. Like you get possessed. Well, I mean, I see. Th- this is this is the part of you that's that's not good. I know, I know. What are you giving yourself permission to yell at a two-year-old for? Come on. And you think he lacks self-discipline? Yeah, I know. You think he lacks control of his temper? He's two. What's your excuse? I know, I know. That's part of the dialogue I have with myself. It's like if you're if well, you stop can't... having a dialogue with yourself about it. And just give yourself a goddamn rule. You understand? Yeah. Stop having a dialogue with yourself. And say, no. I am not going to yell. I'm not going to yell. As long as it's on the maybe, it's going to happen. Because I'll tell you something, man. Oh, I'll tell you something. And this is nothing you don't know. If you don't change this, I'll talk to your wife in a sec. But if if you don't change this, you know how I said million dollars to not yell for a day? Mm -hmm. You'll look back and say, if your son continues this path, right? What's it going to be like when he's 15? When he's as big as you. Yeah. What's he going to be like? Tell me. No, I, I remember what it was like when, it was, when I was in that position. I mean, I did get into physical altercations with my dad. He's going to be hitting you, and he's going to be as big as you, and you're going to be a hell of a lot older. Yeah. I mean, you say you're not limber enough now to go into a play center. I don't think you want to take on an angry 15-year-old full of hormones. Not really, no. You won't win. No. And then you get the joyful task of, do I call the cops on my son? Yeah. 
And you'll look back and say, well, I yelled at him a lot when he was two. I would pay a million dollars to go back in time. I'd pay $10 million if I had it to go back in time and change my behavior then. Well, you have the chance to change it right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for the disasters of the future to make the past irrevocably troubled. You can change it right now by not giving yourself permission. Now, that's not the end of it. Of course, you've got to do self-knowledge. If you can do some therapy, well, you know, all the stuff that I say, but you've heard, you, you listen for a long time. I don't need to repeat the whole laundry list. You know it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm not saying, you know, white knuckle yourself for the next 15 years, right? Right. What I'm saying is that stop letting your parents parent your child. Stop letting them win in your heart and mind. You understand? I do. When I say don't give yourself permission, what you hear is, what, I have to really criticize my parents now? I have to really say that what they did was absolutely wrong, so wrong that I can't give myself permission to indulge in it even once? That's how bad what it was that they did? Yeah. If that's what it takes for you to not have the permission to do this anymore, then that's what it takes. Because I don't care about your relationship with your parents, and I don't care about your parents because they had their parenting. That's all in the past. This is occurring right now. I care about your son because he's two. Your parents made their decisions as adults. I care about you as a child, but I can't fix that. But we can fix what's going on now, right? Mm -hmm. No permission. Not, well, if he pushes my buttons or if I feel like it. No. No permissions. Zero chance. And you deal with the fallout of that. But you do not have the right to aggress against your son. And it's not working anyway. This is the thing, right? Yeah. I'm not telling you to stop doing something that's working. Right. It's doing the exact opposite of working, right? Yeah. Put down the phone, engage, and be honest. Listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, I'm bored of this. Let's do something else. Now, understand, he's two and you're not, so, you know, give him some latitude. He's not going to get bored as quickly as you are. Yeah. yeah. But then it's your job to find something that's going to interest him more. So, oh, I want to keep doing this. It's like, okay, I've got an idea. How about this? The other day, trying to negotiate what to do with my daughter in the afternoon, she wanted to go to a play center. I wanted to go trampolining. Why? Because apparently I don't think I'm 50. <laughs> I, wanted to go, I wanted to go tramp. I let me, for me, an hour of trampolining is like God's gift to exercise because exercise is ungodly boring. But that's fun, right? Good, good old game of motorball with a bunch of kids. Man, I can do that all day. And I couldn't, I couldn't convince her to go to the trampolining place. So we went to the play center. And we were there for a while. And after a while, I suggest something else we do at the play center. She turns to me and she says, Dad, you know what? I think I might be too old for the play center. Do you know what I said? 
in my heart. Yes. <laughs> Thank Jesus, God Almighty. I will never have to come to a place center until she has grandchildren. <laughs> Praise be to Baal. Thank you, gods above. I'll never have to come to a smelly place where I get a cold ever again. I can understand that feeling. Oh, yeah, of course. What do you, you think? I mean, like, hey, let's go to a play center, honey. It's Valentine's Day. No. <laughs> Right? Cut on the praise, Jesus. It looks like my sacrifice of the goat worked. <laughs> now, so, so, but the cool thing is, I wanted to go trampolining. She wanted to go to a play center. Now, we had a back and forth, and fine. So we go to the play center. And it turns out that she was right to want to go to a play center. Because she didn't want to go to a play center. She wanted to stop going to a play center because she wanted to recognize how old she was. So, right. So she had to go one last time, right? And we've all had that experience, right? Oh, yeah. I remember the, the last time I played Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, ah, you know, yeah, I think I'll start dating. <laughs> Whatever, right? Last time you go dirt biking, last time you play Monopoly, last time you just go, yeah, I'm done with this. And it's kind of funny because we're playing this epic Monopoly game. And uh, I was saying to her, you know, do you think, like I said, you know, they'll, that was the very same day. I said, um, you know, I said, there will make, I said, do you ever, and I want to say there will come a time. I said, do you ever think you're going to get tired of Monopoly? And she said, oh, no. Oh, no, it's great. And I remember feeling that at her age, too. And I was like 12 or 13 when I got tired of Monopoly. So she's got some time to go. And I said, you know, because I was just sitting here thinking that if you ever did get tired of Monopoly, it would be like we'd pack away the Monopoly game knowing that that was the last time we'd... And I actually I always get emotional even just thinking about these kinds of transitions. Like, the, we're going to pack away that Monopoly game and we'll both know that it's the last time that we've... that we're going to play. And... You know, we're packing away the money. And we'll pack it away carefully because we know it won't come out for 20 years. Till you have kids or whatever. 10 years. I don't know. And we're closing. Like, we're not just packing away the Monopoly game. We're packing away that whole phase. That whole phase of childhood is being closed, put in a sealed plastic bag, and going into the basement where in 15 years we'll forget we have it and buy a new one anyway. <laughs> I'm telling you this, which you need to understand in the moment. There will come a time, and it's not going to be too long, where your son will have outgrown Play-Doh. And there will come a time when with an ache in your heart, you will look at that Play-Doh and wish you had one more go with him. My wife has said that to me before. And the only way to survive that moment and to cherish it rather than mourn it is if you've really played properly, deeply, rightly. Or as an old theater teacher of mine used to say, he was my movement teacher in theater school. He said, I want you to play like children, which means play seriously. Always stuck in my head, that phrase. It's very true. And... 
today we went uh, skating. Because she's made some friends at the skating rink and we go and play uh, tag. Because it's pretty empty ice. And I didn't really feel like going. <laughs> I didn't really feel like going. Well, February in Canada, I mean. Yeah, yeah. what are we going to do, right? But uh, we went and it turned out to be a lot of fun. Because if I'm going to go, I'm going to go, right? Nothing's more annoying than somebody who kind of drags himself along making like the toxic cloud of everyone else's no funness. Mm -hmm. Fine, I'll come. Fine, fine, we'll go skating. Oh, grumble, grumble, grumble. Like, no, if I'm going to, like, I'm either going to stay home or I'm going to go. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to lace up. I'm going to chase after the kids making growling wolf noises. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm not do this one foot on the pier, one foot on the boat thing. If you're with your son, be with your son. Don't be with your son and Facebook. Mm -hmm. Because that's not being with your son. And as I said, it clearly communicates to him where he stands in your priorities. And you have to, like, this is, this is emergency. You have to stop this downward spiral. Yeah. Where he behaves badly and you withdraw, so he behaves badly, so you withdraw, so he behaves badly, so you withdraw. There's no end to that, you understand. Mm -hmm. Do you? Oh, yes, yeah. And he's not going to change. Why? Because he's two. Right. You have to. You're the only variable outside of your wife and the rest of your family, but the adults are the only variables who can change this equation. The only variable that can change here is you. It's not your son. He's not going to magically change. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't sound like you want to change. I'll be frank with you. You're giving me these empty mm-hmms. Um, Do you get it's an emergency? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, so where the hell is your motivation here? Why am I doing all the work? It's your damn family. It's kind of pissing me off, be honest with you. Why am I doing all the work here? Where are you? Not on a phone, are you? No, no. So where are you? I'm in. I am in my own head. I'm trying to trying to process it. Trying to absorb it. I mean, no, that's that's nonsense. That's not anything like that. It's not what you're doing. You're going limp. Do you ever do you ever say this when you're a kid? I'm going rubber bones. You ever try that? No. Is that all your muscles go? You're, you're just going rubber bones on me. Why? It's your family's on fire. And why am I the only one running for the fire extinguisher? Yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, I knew all this stuff. And... I didn't... I didn't want to face it. And I know I need to, and I, I, I do need to. I do need to change it, definitely. But well, why do you sound like you're reading a grocery list? I don't. 
I don't understand. Where's the urgency here? I don't, I don't, I don't have no idea where you are emotionally. I have no sense of contact with you as a person. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, Do you feel anything at the moment? Yeah, I. What do you feel? A lot of guilt. Um, you know, feel like a pretty horrible parent. That's abstract. What are the physical sensations? What's going on in your body? Um, it's almost like tension and weakness at the same time. Where is that? In your chest? Your belly? Somewhere else? Just kind of a, uh, in, in my limbs, I guess. Um, yeah, a little bit in my chest. Just kind of an all-around thing. Um, I don't know. I just, I know it's not too late, but I feel a sense of failure already. So, I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't excuse changing it now. And No, 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 no. This is all abstract. It's all abstract bullshit. I, I want to know where your heart is. Where, where are your feelings? Where's your passion? Where's your hope? Where's your despair? Where's anything? I... Are you numb? I suppose so. Well, supposing is kind of a yes, right? Yeah. So, do you think that there's any chance for you to change if you're numb? No. Okay. So, am I wasting my breath? Is this like a waste of time for me? Why do I care more about this than you do? I don't. I, I'm completely at a loss here. Oh, I don't. I, I really don't know. I. Um, my wife's asking to talk. Okay. I can't see Sorry. him, so I, I don't know what the body like, language is. I, like I can I only have... go by the, the voice. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I just, my husband is very good sometimes at, at taking in information, but he kind of freezes and wants to retreat from that information. And it's after he gets to a certain point, he sort of shuts down. And it's like a day later is when you're going to hit the fire, you know, where he tries to change things and he really starts going to work. But like when you, when you but hit if him. If this with, is the case, if you know how to change him. Why have you let him be yelling at your son for this time? Because I don't know how, like, I'm trying to gather the information and present it. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> as, no, as no. This, is, this to... is not a research project. Someone's yelling at your baby boy. And that's why I, I, but I ended up correcting him in front of our son. Then that was wrong on my But point. has it worked? No. And that's. No, it's gotten worse. Right. Now, I appreciate that you're calling in here. Yes. That's two and a half years. But this has been a big problem in the last two months. It's been something no, no, I'm no, gradually no. No, working I'm, on. I'm a good listener. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm a good listener, my friend. You said that he yelled at your son. Now, a couple of times a day. Before, once a week, right? 
my mom put it better than I did. He yells around Eldon. That's the way it used to be. He would yell maybe around Eldon or he'd walk away or he would do something. Okay. He he never yelled at Eldon before. But the last two months, something has changed so? and he started yelling no, at hang him. hang on, hang on. So what? Do you think if you discharge a gun around someone but don't point it at them that it's totally fine? I suppose only if you're at a firing range, but... You know what I mean. Come I on. do. Okay. Is that fine? No. Watching your father be out of control, watching your father's temper be out of control, is that comforting and secure for a child? No. So, how did this happen for you? Well, how for me, the, the process for him, is- for you. It's 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 been a struggle that I have I've I've tried various things, you know, of course, listening to your show, trying to go back to, you know, some things my dad taught um, a lot of what my dad taught me when I was younger. Of course, going back to parenting is you put a sentinel on your thoughts. You know, your your mind is like a garden. You got these weeds that grow and you get too many weeds it comes out in your language to other people and it can be like a it can be like a poison. I noticed my husband he uses a lot of very negative language and our concepts the the way we think about everything all the words hold the concept. So if you're talking okay. negative I don't know what any of this here. means. Let me just ask you this question. I'm sorry because everybody gets Positivity. so abstract when I'm asking the basic questions. Yes. Does your son See his father be emotionally present in situations other than anger. Yes. Okay. What are those situations? Um, there's a lot of a lot of play, a lot of giggling, a lot of laughter in the house. My husband, I think, does a great job playing with him most of the time. They chase each other around the house. There's tickle fights. Um. There are situations where when he gets hurt, you know, my husband actually has, um, I, I, I've, I, I can, I can say I've seen my husband cry twice and w- once was, well, actually both times it was when uh, my son got hurt and he was very, um, very concerned with him and he just, he thinks it's a failure, I think to cry, but you know, he cried when my son got hurt. I mean, it, I, I think the image here, um, of the problem. I'm just checking. Listen, I'm I'm just yeah, checking. I mean, it, I'm you you're the expert, so I'm just asking the question. Sure, so I'm sure, glad I'm here, right, that he has all of this stuff, uh, all of these other emotional forms of expression. But mm-hmm. if you had a babysitter who did what your husband did, what would happen? Um, I wouldn't have the I wouldn't have the babysitter anymore. Right. You'd fire her. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm not suggesting you fire your husband. Please understand that, right? You're married and, and you've got to work it out, right? Correct. Um, but, but here's the thing is that, you know, one day your son is going to be able to fire you both. Right. He's going to grow up, right? Mm-hmm. And he can move to Timbuktu if he wants. Right. I don't want that to happen, Right. Right. So you need to treat this like it's a voluntary relationship, like you're working 
at a daycare, like you're babysitting someone else's kids, you wouldn't yell at strangers' kids, would you? No. So why the hell would you have higher standards for strangers' kids than you would for your own flesh and blood? I don't. I'm... (laughs) I am not what you would call passive in this situation. No, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm glad you called in. And I'm I'm not trying to, like, yank your chain or throw you under the bus or bust your balls or anything like that. I'm just, I need to give you this perspective to, to, to jolt, help you jolt your husband and yourself into this is no longer acceptable. This can't happen. Right. This is no longer on the list of options. This is not, not on the menu. Right. And you can't order off menu. There's no cheating in this restaurant. Right? No cheating at all. Right? Right. Not allowable. You can't yell at a two-year-old. It's not his right. fault. You're the environment. You've shaped him. If he has a temper tantrum, after he's been yelled at or around 50 times a year and now 50 times a month, that's on you. That's not on him. Mm-hmm. He's the child. So you've got some undoing to do and you're only going to... You're not going to, this is why I say it's an emergency, not because he's, you know, you're talking about serial killer. I mean, but what I'm saying is that if you commit to change and you slip up, you have a real problem. That's what I mean when I say it's got to be off the table. You can't do it. Not allowed. Understood. Not, not allowed, like, like setting fire to your neighbor's house is not allowed. You're not like, well, you know, he has been stealing my fruit, right? It's just not allowed. Wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right? Can't happen. Because if you make this, it's going to take, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know the exact figure. This is the figure that popped into my head, so this is not scientific. It's going to take a year of perfectly consistent, non-angry behavior to reverse what's been done. A year. You slip up at any time in that year, it's worse than if you'd never tried it at all because you gave him hope. Hmm. You understand? This is what I mean when I say as an emergency. And if you wait another couple of months, it'll be two years. And if you wait another couple of months, it'll be four years. I understand. You know, they say it takes double the time to get over something. You know, like if you've been in a relationship for two years, it'll take you a year to get over it. And they also say it takes seven times positive behavior to overcome one instance of bad behavior. But he's young, so more flexible, I guess. Well, that's good. But it has to be. Right? You gotta mm-hmm. sit down with your son, apologize, explain what you did wrong. Because if he's not going to criticize his own behavior, if you don't criticize your behavior that produced it or influenced it, mm-hmm. he's not. You, you're asking him to say no to his temper tantrums, right? Right. But if you can't model as adults the behavior of saying no to getting angry, you're asking him. It's it's even more frustrating for him. Because you're asking him to do it too, what you're not doing in your 30s. Right. Or what, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't have that standard. He shouldn't be having tantrums, right? 
what the <laughs> right? You understand for a kid, this is like scary. Oh, not yeah. just not just the temper, but the hypocrisy. You at two should control what I can't control at thirty six. Yeah, it's just something that I kind of understood in the very beginning. I mean, he's not being difficult. He's not a difficult toddler. We are difficult parents, and we need to figure out what we're doing wrong and fix it now. And if the dad can't do it, you need to. If he can't control it, if he can't control his temper, you need to stay home. Mm -hmm. You know that, right? Yes. And if it means a reduction in circumstances... It's cheap compared to what comes if he doesn't control his temper. Mm-hmm. I'd rather live in a poor, peaceful house than a mansion of conflict. Hell, I'd rather live under a bridge at peace than in a palace of temper. Yeah, um, and we have sat down and worked out the numbers and worked out a, a plan B and a plan C. But the bridge I want to burn is just like you said, you you burn <laughs> you burn that bridge that leads to yelling. So you just don't have it as a tool. You just don't do it. That's the best solution here. It's a million dollar question. I mean, it troubles me that he says, I mean, I get it's defensive, right? I mean, I understand that. But, you know, when he says, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe I would end up yelling even if it cost me a million dollars. That's a confession of impotence in the face of temper. That means maybe he should take that temper and go out and use all that testosterone to make you all some money and you stay home. Mm-hmm. But either way, the yelling's got to stop. We all agree on that. Good. <laughs> did I? I wasn't sure if I did, and I'm sure I didn't, but I thought I heard somebody laughing in the background while I was having the conversation with your husband. I'm not sure which part. Maybe it was a. It doesn't. If nobody was. I just thought I heard it. Maybe it was a TV or something. Anyway, I was just. Oh, I think that... we're laughing at something you said. I think um, you started talking about how you'd go trampolining, and my mom and I just looked at each other because that just sounded like such a fun thing to do. And I might have, I, I used to love, we had a trampoline. It might have been that. Uh, okay. I was just, right. I okay. just was picturing how fun it would be. I think right. that might have been the only time I, I laughed, but. Did you? I know it's completely off topic, but I didn't even know there was such a place. So now I'm going to have to go look that up. I'm sorry, but continue. Oh, do yeah, no, there, and you can you can take it to an half year old. They have these big foam pits, right? So you got these trampolines. They've got these big foam blocks, and you can just little kids can jump into. You do flips and stuff. It's great for getting out of them. Can be tough, but it's it's great fun. <laughs> wow, it's great fun. Sounds like it. All right. So, do we at least have a rough standard and plan? Oh, yes, we do. And I got to say, as as a listener that has been listening to your show for so long, it's tempting to say, we know what Stefan might say in this situation. We we have an idea of how to fix it ourselves. But honestly, it's like a couple of light bulbs went off. And I mean, for 
I mean, we've all been listening for so long. It's like I, I thought that I, I thought you'd be I mean, big picture, we we knew what we needed to do with, with the yelling, but as far as trying to relate to what is going through our two year old's head and how he would see himself as being boring or not interesting enough. I mean, these are just invaluable light bulbs of just trying to understand what our son is going through. And I'm just absolutely impressed as always. And thank you so much for your insights. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Just, just remember that if kids don't feel like treasured, then they feel at mortal risk. It's very stressful. Because remember, throughout most of human history, very few kids made it. Right? Infant mortality was ridiculous. And so, kids who don't feel treasured, there's a, like a death panic sets in. And we look at it and say, well, why is, why is it such a big deal? Why are you kicking and screaming? It's survival. Yeah. Remember, there was never enough food to go around. Predators were everywhere. Disease was everywhere. You see those, um, I mean, you, you see piglets trying to get at the nipples of the sow. I mean, they're, they're in like, like black and decker drills trying to get kick screaming. They'll kick because there's never enough food to go around. It's evolution. So if the kid feels like he's not treasured, they really panic. I mean, those of us who had tough childhoods, we know that. Some some of that experience, right? That that it's you know, it's that old terrible yeah, it's that whole terrible Bill Cosby joke. And I know you I know this isn't in your minds, right? So I'm just sort of pointing it out. But he's like, you know, his father said, Oh, you can be replaced, right? Just make another one. We can make another one of you, right? Well, actually no, you can't because it's only one, but mm-hmm. um but that is a that is a it's an existential threat for children if they don't feel treasured. They they freak out and they they, they need their parents' attention no matter what. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, make sure you negotiate ahead of time. Make sure you get agreement. Make sure you keep your word, right? Because if you keep your word to your child, you have every right, UPB style, to expect your child to keep their word to you, right? I keep my word to my daughter. And if she starts breaking her word, I'm like, oh, is that what we're doing? We're breaking words to each other now? Is that, is that our plan? Because I'm not going to have higher standards than you are. I mean, I know I'm the parent and also I'll pay the bills, but I'm not, you know, if, if we're going to do this thing where we don't have to keep our word to each other, just let me know. No, no, no. <laughs> she doesn't want that, right? So um, <laughs> that that kind of leverage is really helpful. Just get agreement ahead of time. I think that the tongue and the belly, uh, I have found to be helpful. And kids, I think, kind of get that pretty instinctively. And um, yeah, just the apology, the commitment to change and just having it off the table I think we'll uh, we'll cool him down over time, in my humble opinion. Okay. We'll definitely All right. do that. Will you keep us posted? Oh, yes. Definitely will. Right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thanks, everyone, so much for opening up your hearts and minds and thoughts to me, to the world. Always a great privilege and a great pleasure to be part of these uh, conversations. So um, please, everyone, check out my new video, Why Free Speech is All That Matters. And um, drop by freedomainradio.com slash donate, will you, please? Don't make me beg. I'm down on my knees, people. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. We've done, uh, gosh, way, way north, 13 to 15 million views over the last 28 days. And uh, views and downloads. Amazing. Fantastic stuff. And these kind of life-changing conversations, it's up to you to fund them. Put your money 
where your mind is. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Thank you so much. And don't forget to use our affiliate link at fdrurl.com slash Amazon. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon.